Welcome to Top 5 Comics, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today we have the man without fear, Curtis. Hello. We have the vengeance of Moon Knight with Ross. Hey. We have the man that's the best of what he does, even though what he does isn't very nice. With Steve. <laughs> Hi. And then we have Rob. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Not even in a world without enough toasters we have to rob. Nope. Not today. In a world where he's the only man with a stick of butter left. And not very many toasters. Rob. No? No, no. The world's greatest comic magazine. (laughs) Fantastic Four. Fantastic Rob. Oh, Fantastic Rob. Hey, that... Simple. Hey, the fantastic Rob. Oh my god. Is this gonna get cut? I think it might be sure <laughs> not now. <laughs> I, I think I think we're probably just gonna carry on. My wayward son. Song. But I'm bummed. My bad. It's a good song. Oh, this one. Ross is done. Yep. Mm, Piece of toast. Okay, so uh, <laughs> let's see books today, my god. Uh, Fantastic Four, number three. That's fine. Uh, the Seventh Sword, number one. I didn't want to wait one more issue. <laughs> right? Uh, Birds of... <laughs> Birds of Prey, number 30. <laughs> Does League United Zero? And Electra, number one. <laughs> can, can I wait one more issue? No, you're right. This shit needs to end now. <laughs> Not the Fantastic Four, but yeah. shenanigans. You remember when Marvel they made uh, X twenty three and on issue number twenty two? Yes, it's the same thing. Perfect. Not a, not the same thing at all. Good, good work, guys. <laughs> Call it <laughs> cancel twenty three. <laughs> uh, they, they, when they made sure they put her in issue number twenty three of a uh, of a uh, Avengers uh, Academy. That's so, true. They're like, oh, we'll make sure it lines up one place. Well, is that exactly what they said? I have a feeling no. that was in the barroom going, You sure you don't want to put another issue out, Tom? And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. We will lose money on that one sale. <laughs> we'll have to include that in some trade somewhere. Oh, my God. We don't even have a story for it. It's like, we didn't have a story for the last three. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason Tom works in these meetings, because he makes noises. Mm. Well, it's hard to argue with that. No. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to say to that exactly, so I guess I'm just going to agree with you. That's the best way to do it. No. Okay. Got this fantastic idea for Spider Man. No. <laughs> that, does that mean we just leave Spider Man the way he is? <laughs> don't ask questions. Oh. <laughs> I'll keep doing that until we call for lunch. He's like a dog with a treat. He <laughs> just keeps going until you distract him with something. This picture just screeched from Saved by the Bell on my head. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so let's do a little news in the uh, news in the comic world. Ross, news? You know, the only real news is they cast Cyborg for the Superman-Batman movie. Is, is that really real news, 
Ross. It is really real news. Curtis, who's playing the part? What's his name? I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> See how that works? Ray Fisher. Ray Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Son of the Kingfisher. Oh, I see. <laughs> I was going to ask if he was related to Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> oh, that'd be Ray Lawrence. And <laughs> I figured that it was, it was like a handed down name, like you had to earn it. Like he's he's been fish long enough that he could be Fishburne. Oh, we'll just drop the er. Right. <laughs> It's like it's like moving up in Pokemon. What do you think, Tom? Sounds right to me. Of course, you just call for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What are we having, bro? Stop. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's going to be any room for Superman two in Superman two. Well, no. Let's hope not. They cut him for Cyborg. <laughs> there we go. That makes perfect sense. Lois Lane's still in it, though. Well, we'll have, she's prettier. We'll That's have Lois true. and Cyborg and sorry. Batman and Wonder Woman and The Flash. and well. Maybe we'll throw in uh, Martian Manhunter. Maybe. <laughs> Aquaman, maybe. They, they say no Aquaman, but I don't believe. It's going to be Shazam. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> Could be the way that, that things have gone. Start throwing tables across. <laughs> I don't get mad at anything, and then be the one. He puts Shazam in there, not Aquaman. Ross loses his crap. And I actually like Shazam. That's the worst part. Yeah. Just rather not trade Shazam for Aquaman. Yep. Uh, That's understandable. He doesn't do very good at the bottom of the ocean. No, Shazam. Well, he calls down lightning and kills lots of fish. <laughs> lots. <laughs> lots of the whole ocean. Mm. Makes, makes it real easy to go fishing. Float on the top. Mm. <laughs> you know? Right. I say Shazam underwater. He has a guy from accounting. <laughs> Tom, get out of here. Who cast this guy? <laughs> right? Marvel. At the bottom of the sea. He's got a giant square head. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, they didn't make an announcement about uh, September for this year, 2014, what they're doing with their uh, DC New 52, I guess, anniversary month is what you call it now. Oh, okay. Um, so last year we have the Villains Month with the lenticular covers. This year we have... Future's End. Future's End! Oh. With also lenticular or 2D covers. Because this time they're going to tell you the 2Ds are coming out at some point first. Because last time they just lied to us said they weren't happening at all. 2Ds, it makes it sound special. It's just a regular damn cover. Exactly. <laughs> well, you have to understand it's not lenticular. It's not 3D. It's the 2D. Okay. Yeah. Nothing shiny and fancy. It's just regular. It's going to come out and you're going to be like, I'm amazed how flat this image is. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Look how this book doesn't have any ridges. <laughs> nope, no yes. ridges. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Um, so yeah, this year there's going to be Future's End uh, number ones. And it's coming across the board, so every title will have its own its own uh, correlating book. Whereas last year we had like four Batmans, four Detectives, four Supermans, four Actions. Uh, so it won't be like that this time around. It'll all be correlating books, as it were. Are they all number ones? Si, senor. I mean, yes. That's yes. Well, That's yes in Spanish. Gotcha. 
I was going to say something about the push two for whatever, but I don't know how to say that. Oh. I hear it every time I call anywhere, but I don't know how to say it. I know that's what it means, too. Al primo dos. Is that what they say? I think they just said the first second. <laughs> <laughs> well, depends on what line you're calling, okay? <laughs> to be expensive. There's a premium on those first seconds. He's right about that. Tired of people hanging up. Oh. Anyway, so that's in the September DC news. I imagine we'll have some new stuff from C2E2 this week sometime, but it's hard to say. They haven't really had a whole lot of forthcoming anything. Mm. So there's that, I guess. Anything else, lads? I know. No? Just that Star Wars crap. Oh, oh yeah. Right. Which is actually pretty important if you are a fan of Star Wars. Evidently, um, everything that was extended universe, I guess? Prior to this upcoming episode 6. Pri- prior to episode 6 is actually no longer going to be canon. We're going to evidently develop a new canon for Star Wars. Disney said so. So, Disney... I, what we'll probably have is we'll have... Probably Star Wars, and then we'll have Disney Star Wars canon. Who's to say? I wonder if somebody could come up with a catchy thing for that. Disney Star like, Wars canon? Is that yeah, Darth like, Vader like and D- Mickey Mouse helmet yes. canon? I think you're thinking of something else. No. I don't think they're... They don't sound like they're going to go backwards yet. He's talking about, like, be, what is it when you talk about dates? You have 2000 A, A, AD, yeah. and then 2000 BC... So, so probably you got be, before Christ and then after Christ. Mm-hmm. Probably be, be probably be BD, yeah, and then AD, which gives me a BM. Mm. Hopefully that in your pants. Well, <laughs> <laughs> see that how it works. Oh. Tom must work for Disney too. Damn it. <laughs> Man, you'd be surprised how hard we can't don't actually answer any questions. How easy it is to get a job in Hollywood? <laughs> it's freaking amazing. Maybe he's like the he's like the Seacrest. Of the diplomat or the boardroom, you know, he just goes from place to place. <laughs> Every boardroom meeting, he goes and do. Oh God, there's bread. That's because he brings sandwiches with him. <laughs> <laughs> Shows up and he looks happy, and then they ask him questions. Do you have the perfect guy to blame? <laughs> oh, you think it's a really good idea for us to kill Superman? <laughs> I don't know if that was English or not, but we're gonna do it. Awesome. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm I telling did, you. I just thought snarf. Snarf, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> snarf. Yeah, you know what you used to do when you do voice acting? <laughs> His voice acting career started as snarf. <laughs> Poor bastard. What, a, what else? Yeah, I don't think it's it. Nothing pertinent? No, I don't think. Not, not anything that actually mattered. I mean, the, the George Lucas slapped in the face to all, all the fans. It wasn't, I don't like, think it was like, him. It was you know, Disney. Because they Disney asked him. Or, yeah, and he's like, very good. And then, and then Disney's like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. Because we was, bought it. Disney was yeah. like, here's a truck of money. It's <laughs> right. like, oh, I'll go park it with the other ones you out remember, back. Remember that, remember that truck of money we gave you last time? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember. It's covered it's, in gold now. <laughs> I had it gold plated. This is going to be a real pain when I have to melt it down. Oh, <laughs> oh man. The problems of rich people. It's like, check this grill. <laughs> bling, bling, bling. <laughs> Man. George Lucas met Mr. T. <laughs> right. Well, the two of them may do a project together. That could, be, that could be an interesting movie. A pity of the Jedi. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you're probably right, though. There really does need Some to be like a Star Wars. Mace Windu's return, because he's the only black Disney? guy. In... BD? Well, Mace isn't the only black guy. It depends on no. what. No. What? 
He was like Mace Windu's like the only black guy. No, Lando. Lando oh, was first. True. Holy cow. Mace I forget that? is like third. The other one is like Padme's bodyguard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like he's, so there's three. He's a black guy, too. Well, Mr. T will play all three of them. I think if we continue to watch, we'd probably pick out more, but not probably in the original stuff. I think the original stuff, it was just Lando. Because Billy D. Williams is cool as the other side of the pillow. Hell yeah. yeah. Yep. Freaking awesome. Whether it's a laser gun or a Coke 45, <laughs> it always is stunning. <laughs> that was almost... That was almost good. That was almost 70s-tastic. Almost. Almost. I call our agree too. Okay, inches. nevertheless. So, George Lucas has told everyone to go, go to hell. Or Disney. Mm. So... What's that next Batman movie called? God. The, the animated? Yeah. Bad. Assault on Arkham. Arkham. There's a Sultan Arkham involved. That's and, is that uh, a movie or is that a, the game? It's no, it's a movie. movie. It's going to be uh, Suicide Squad's going to be in that, evidently. So. Batman Assault on Arkham. That's right. That title mm-hmm. sounds cool. Yeah. Featuring. Batman. The Suicide Squad. Oh. And Batman. My bad. <laughs> yes. Ooh. I hope it has Batman in it. That's right. <laughs> and what, uh, Son of the Bat was, uh, was so-so. I haven't got to say it yet. Yeah, so. it's okay. Yeah. Not very canon, mm. I guess. Like, see, yeah. I, I've kind of felt like the last couple have been. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think they've kind of fallen off the wagon. Like, a little bit. Trying I to see, make but, things right. But I kind of felt like that in Flashpoint, and I've had a lot of people turn around and tell me, like, no, Flashpoint's awesome, and so... Yeah, know, you know, actually, just me. I forgot about Flashpoint. Flashpoint was pretty... It was pretty close. It is the closest out of most of the recent ones. Mm. I would say it was fantastic, Rob. You know, I, I thought it was just okay. I kind of felt like that it started coming down. And, like, Justice League War wasn't bad either. It's, you know, I mean, evidently the guy who's working on it loves The Flash. Like, loves him. Because Flash did everything in that show. See, I couldn't stand War. I didn't like it at all. I've never seen it. That's good. We need to, we need to show it to you. Yeah. I don't think I've it's, ever seen Doom either. Well, Doom was beforehand. Mm. Uh, Doom, I don't think, was based on anything. But it was pretty good. It was like a mix of... Uh, yeah, Doom, they mixed enough stuff up to where it was good. Because yeah, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad, but I think it was, ba- it was based... It was like Tower of Babel the, from 90s Justice League, mm-hmm. mixed with the new 52 Justice League casting almost. In the Legion of Doom. In the Legion of Doom, yeah. It, was, it had a couple of interesting things. One was that it was the first one that they did Cyborg as a member of the Justice League. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was also the first one to have Wally West, or I'm sorry, Barry Allen instead of Wally West as the Flash. Was it? I thought uh, Crisis had Barry Allen. Crisis. No, I don't think so. I think Crisis it's still Wally. Crisis on Two Earths. Yeah, I think no, that's still I Wally. Think, I, think, I think it's Wally too. Mm-hmm. I think I think that was the first one with Barry because I I had to keep telling myself that it was Barry because he would be like, "Yeah, I'm going to investigate this stuff," and I'm like, "Wally, you can't investigate stuff." Oh wait, yeah. yeah. It's Barry. See, and it's funny, because I think a lot of times they forget it's Barry, and they write him like Wally, too. Because it's really hard to tell sometimes. Well, Wally's been Flash longer than Barry ever was. I don't even understand the whole Barry Allen thing. You know, like, he was he, he, he had a great death. He gets to pop up every once in a while out of the Speed Force for, you know, token reasons to, like, tell you fortune cookie shit. That's good. That's all we need. You know, like, Wally filled his shoes really well. I was genuinely hurt when they killed him off, though, and had Bart take his place for a while. Yeah. Yeah, like I, Yeah, like, I love Bart, but I don't want 
Bart to be the Flash. Mm-hmm. Like, I want Bart to be Impulse. So, anyhow, sorry. You get Kid Flash. That's what you get. Yeah, I do. And honestly, like, um, the reason for that was great in the previous DC Universe, where it was like Deathstroke shot him in the knee, and he had to, like, learn to wise up and think things through. Right. But, like, the new universe doesn't have that. Like, they came up with a whole different thing, and that's wrapping up now, so I, you know, hold my judgment until I read that. <laughs> but I do miss that he doesn't have gold eyes. I know. It's me. It's stupid. But Impulse needs gold eyes. Crash in the mode. <laughs> you stop. He hasn't actually been called Impulse yet, but Elo, either in the universe. Yeah, I don't think he will. I, yeah, I don't think they're going to use it either. Mm-mm. I think the Impulse is a piece from the past. Yeah. It's like Superboy is never going to call himself the Metropolis Kid. Hey, well, that's not really a bad thing. No, it? it's not. Sounds like a wrestler's name. Mm-hmm. Could be. Mm. I totally actually forgot about him calling himself that until recently again. It's good stuff, man. Was that after Fade Cut? Yeah, that was during, during Fade Cut. Fade Cut. Oh, was yeah. it? Very early in Fade Cut. He when he first like showed up. Yeah. Well, what people forget is like like Superboy was freaking awful for a while. Like, everybody just wants to remember, like, hey, shorts and jeans, that's where he was. But, no, you had to get through a lot of awful first. That's why it drives me nuts that all these people drop things the second that they read a story that they didn't like. It's funny, as I knew about Fade Cut Superboy, mm-hmm. and then I started reading comics, and I did, I thought they were a different person. Yeah. When I, when I restarted reading Superboy. He's changed a lot. And if you had picked up, like, in the middle, where he had, like, the scruff... He seems almost like a whole different person there, too. Mm-hmm. I only have a portion well, he, of that stuff. Even now. Now he doesn't seem like the same Superboy as the Gene Superboy. No, he's not, though. Yeah. No, he's this weird clone from the future clone thing. Yeah, he's he's quite a bit different. Yeah. I that's I can't explain it better. C- clone from the future clone thing? Well, there's <laughs> a future. They take and mix Lois Lane and Clark Kent together, because that just makes perfect sense. Well, well actually, they, they actually have a kid, don't yeah. they? And then they yeah, clone the kid. Yeah, a legitimate kid. And they clone the kid because the kid's dying. Yeah. Whatever. Right. <laughs> and other realities where he's survived now, he's a massive douchebag. <laughs> awesome. So, are we done? Yeah, that's pretty that's, that's good. <laughs> Did we ever thank our listeners for sending in questions last time? I don't I don't know if we did or not. I thought we did at the end of the show. Let's, Let's thank him again. Thank him again. Oh, yeah. yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We yeah, appreciate thanks. the questions. Yeah. Ghost Punch and Mr. Uh, Hunter? Yes. yes. Oh, I thought you were saying thanks there for a second. <laughs> Ghost Punch. Ghost yes. Punch? Like that's a, that, like that means thank you? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, if you're listening, send us in some questions. Right. Certainly, yeah. We don't mind answering questions as long as they're not, you know, who would win? Nah, I guess that's We true. do those, too. <laughs> Super battle beatdowns. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure Batman wins every time. Well, about, he's an option, yes. What about Batman even when he Even Venom. when he's not an option. Venom like Venom from Marvel? Eddie Brock like, Venom. Eddie Brock Venom? Sure. Still Batman. I don't see why not. <laughs> Still Batman. <laughs> I know how much Rob loves those. Mm. Yeah. Who'd win against the Marshmallow Man and the Human Torch? <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> New York wins. S'mores for everybody. Awesome. Well, the real question is, how big can we make a graham cracker, (laughs) and how much chocolate can we get? Marshmallow Man, Graham Cracker Man, and Chocolate Man versus Human Torch. Oh my gosh! (laughs) It's pandemonium in the street. People are eating off the ground everywhere. 
That's so stupid. Both retarded. It's like the Forbish man and ambush bug. Mm. Why not? <laughs> Perfect. I'm actually Perfect. surprised we haven't seen Ambush Bug yet. I wonder if they're going to... Other gonna... than the DC story things at the end of the book. Yeah, that's true. Okay, He's so I guess... running around playing Newsman. Yeah, we probably won't see him in real real stories. I, I don't know why. They're just like the real stories at the end of those things for him. Well, yeah, but he's he's a news guy now. What's wrong with you? The Ambush Bug is freaking awesome. I understand that, but what is wrong with you? I don't know. Just in general, I don't. Is there actually terminology for it? Hey, <laughs> where's the guy from the guy working in DC? Whatever, Tom. 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 Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. He works for good, Marvel. Good both. Oh. And, and Mickey. He works for the Ayers. Well, it's all over the place. You want to start with that Fantastic Four, Rob? Go. Oh well. Before that, Damn once it. again, thanks. Thanks for writing. Oh yeah. Again. Please, please send us right uh, more questions. That's. To the, the web, the email address, the email questions too. I think that's what you're trying to get to. Mm, yes, is uh, top five so top the number five podcast at hotmail.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, that will help not have your email lost. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True thing. Stuff. What does it say in the front of that cover, Rob? <laughs> the world's greatest comic magazine. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, we do have a great caption because I love comics with captions on the cover, but... This is it, guys. The Human Torch is finished, and so is the Fantastic Four. <laughs> That's him flying away. The Human Torch said that? Yeah. Wait, flying away? Yeah. Oh, the human sound effect. Yeah. Flying away on the cover. Yeah. Wait. The fire. Oh, it's because he's on fire still. Yes. I mean... Oh! <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> Spoilers! That's alright, that actually doesn't happen in this book, so it's all good. In the That's previous the point, Fantastic yeah. Four, um, Rui Richard d- develops a device to destroy these kind of insectile things that are attacking New York City that came from Franklin's pocket dimension that he created way back in the 90s in Heroes Reborn. Doom World when it was done. Awesome. Um, in the end, Reed had rigged this up so that it would work in conjoint with uh, the Human Torch's power. So if he created like a Nova, it would disperse over the city and possibly kill these bugs. Which in the end, it renders them comatose. I thought originally it killed them, but it wasn't until like a little bit later we find out something different. Anyways... Um, in the end, all the bugs are flying and falling out of the sky, and they kind of race over, and they wind up catching Johnny before he hits the ground, and we wind up finding out that his power is shut off, and he can feel his power has been completely turned off. And that's where we begin this new story, where Reed is investigating why Johnny's powers won't come back on. And one of the first things he comes to is that because Johnny had spent so much time in the negative universe and actually had died in the negative universe, whenever he rigged up this device to take out the um, the bug people, it wound up keying in on his powers and actually um, canceled his powers, I guess would be the right term. Well, yeah, because he was so affected by being in the negative zone, I assumed he was part of that, the same part of the bugs. Mm. So, it, so it nullified his powers, but yet it didn't actually hurt him. And basically Reed's like, don't worry, I'll fix this, you know, 
I want to get those taken care of. And Johnny kind of reacts like, oh, yeah, sure you will, you know, like yeah. whenever you get to it. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm Mr. Fantastic. What are yeah. you talking junk? said I won't hold my breath. Mm, yes. Yeah. And, you know, Reed kind of gets offended and he's like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like, we've been dealing with trying to get rid of these powers and, like, fixing Ben and doing all this stuff for decades, you know. So whatever happens with cosmic energy, it's too tricky. So I'm not going to really worry that much about getting my powers back. Plus, I have this whole rock tour, which, by the way, Johnny signed up for a rock tour. Human Church in concert. I was wondering when that happened. Mm. I think that happened in the last FF when he was with What's Her Nuts. They start working about they start working that uh, contract in episode. She say. Yes. yes, they start working that in issue one, and then they continue to do it through two and then mm -hmm. three. Yeah, I I didn't know that Johnny had any talent. I assumed that everybody was coming to see him fly around the stage on fire with a guitar, which would be freaking awesome. He wouldn't be able to play it. Which doesn't matter. I guess they never stopped Gene Simmons. No, exactly. But he was bass, so. Wasn't important. All you gotta do is lip sync, and when you're a giant flying, flaming fireball, it really doesn't matter if you line up or not. Take that, Marshmallow Man. It's true. S'mores for everyone! The s'mores store? Oh my god. So he's got that gig, and so he's like, I'm not too worried about this, you know, we'll figure it out. And this was kind of an interesting thing, too. They've been rebuilding. The Thing's relationship with, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but uh, the, Alicia. the sculptor. Alicia the sculptor. Um, so they've been working on that for the last issue or so. And the Thing's like telling her kind of about his day and how he's like, yeah, I teamed up with Deathlock, but it wasn't the same Deathlock. It was like this new Deathlock that hangs out with the X-Men. and It was like the old days. You know, it felt good. It was fun. And she's kind of like, I get worried when you're out doing superhero stuff. That like like old, this doesn't seem fun at all. That old days reference. So what, do you think that's a reference to the old Marvel team ups they used to do? Oh, all the time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's actually a reference to his own uh, thing team up book. Oh they yeah. did for a long time. But this isn't the first time they've done this. In the last three issues, they've actually made lots of references to. Oh, back in the day, it was so much better. Mm. Mm. Remember when it was easier back in the day? Yeah, you were fighting like Pace Pot Pete and uh, the Asbestos Man. So I, Human Torch and Frankenstein team up. Yeah, That'd be fantastic. Be cool. Although I think the Frankenstein would be freaking out the whole time. No, man, I'm pretty sure there's a team up that happened too. It's okay. It surprised me. <laughs> Frankenstein's always trying to like smack, smack it out. <laughs> Don't get close to Frankenstein. <laughs> Johnny, you've been told not to go near him. <laughs> fly by, fly by. <laughs> Uh, Peter Boyle. Yeah. And, uh, while I was talking to Alicia, we had this little bug thing flying around. And I kind of thought at first it was the wasp, because she was in the last episode, last issue. But you can kind of see it's not when you get a little closer. But um, he's talking about how, you know, oh, don't worry about it, Alicia. You know, everything's going to be fine, because she starts recalling, like, every time that st stuff starts working for them, some kind of big cosmic thing attacks. And it always ruins everything they have together. And so he's like, oh, no, it won't happen this time. And we kind of pull back and find out the bug is actually a camera bot for the Puppet Master. Yep. 
And he's just like sitting in the dark, like, mm, I've had my revenge. Puppet <laughs> mm -hmm. style. He's so creepy, man. He's always creepy. All black room watching Ben Grimm talk to his girlfriend. Creepy. That's true. Not to mention he's carving a giant stone statue of like a minotaur. Mm -hmm. How weird is that? There's another actually really old reference in here, which is kind of fun if you're a, like a big Marvel knight. Because the next page is like something that you don't see a lot in comics either, which is actually they're surveying the city as it's damaged. And Reed's talking to the cleanup guy. And he's like trying to figure out how bad the damage is. And he's like, ah, it's kind of like a middle Reed Richards damage. We're not talking like, you know, Spider-Man and the Rhino kind of damage, where it's just storefronts and windows, and we're not talking out-of-control, rampaging Hulk damage. Yeah, it's kind of just in the middle. But if you look real close, not only is there a bulldog that they show us pretty prominently, but they have the bulldog symbol for the old comic Damage, which Damage was a very limited run, and it was basically like, hey, all the damage that takes place in the world, these are the guys who have to come and clean it up. So... You know, the opposite side, I guess, of the superhero universe, so... It's kind of like that Burger King commercial for the Man of Steel movie. Mm, yeah. They were having to clean up, and he comes down. <laughs> you remember that. Smash of the Red. Yeah. I think they probably pulled that commercial pretty quick. Mm hmm Because, you know, people got so offended with the destruction of the city, but... Mm. Yeah, whatever. It's Superman. Crybabies. Yeah. Some buildings are going to get broken, okay? That's just how... <laughs> Presumably, everyone was out of the buildings. <laughs> they evacuated Metropolis. Right. And I, I loved, I had this on the radio a couple of times, these supposed smart people who were, like, talking about physics, and they're like, yeah, wouldn't Superman hit the building? He wouldn't have smashed it. He would have been smashed against the side of the building. And it's like, you can't use the same physics as a regular person. Yeah. Because he's Superman. Why are you even talking about this if you can't figure that out? can't use regular people physics on the super people. That's why they smashed through the building. You Meanwhile, back at the Baxter building. Yes. Well, the top three layers were blown up. But um, <laughs> big cross the big thing they're talking about is the damage to people. Because even though the property damage isn't that much, there's a lot of people who were hurt by these crazy bug things. And um, Reed Richards and the group picked up at least one of them to experiment on. Because they were trying to figure out where they came from or what they are, really. They know that they came from Franklin's pocket world, but they shouldn't be able to exist in our reality. Franklin didn't make the world able to cross over like that. So they're trying to figure out why that's possible. And Reed's experimenting on his one, but evidently S.H.I.E.L.D. came by and picked up all the rest. And so he's talking to new Nick Fury, and basically, like, the new Nick Fury is basically saying, like, oh, well, we have him in some warehouse and we're experimenting on how to kill him. Nick Fury Jr., Rob. Well, okay, we can do that. Nick Fury Jr. That's who he is. MJ. Not to be confused with Michael Jackson. Not MJ. It's MJ. I know. Oh, God. I, I know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, basically they're discussing it, and Nick Fury is talking about wanting to, uh, wanting to kill him. And Reed's basically like, oh, you'd be exterminating them. And he's like, nah, I'm pretty sure they're not even real to begin with. So if we have to, we're going to have to. Like but, bugs. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's not that worried about it. But uh, Reed's going to continue to experiment on it and try to figure out what they are. And basically they're going to call him back. Okay. So we flash over to what the rest of the Future Foundation 
and Fantastic Four are doing. And they've evidently got a guided tour of the depths of the ocean following behind Namor, where we get to see the crazy whale creatures with arms and legs that evidently roam they the depths. Cool. Yeah, yes. And if you want another great picture of them, you can check out the new, all-new Invaders, number yeah. three, where we get to see them up on the ocean, or up on the beach. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Freaking crazy looking dude. But um, they're kind of having their little adventure underwater here with Namor guiding them. And it's kind of just sort of, I think, reminding us that the Future Foundation is around and, like, our connection to the rest of them and kind of showing us who's all around. And it was weird because I seen the other day, or in the last issue, that Franklin's got our new red suit, too. Weird. But strangely enough, like, most of the rest of them are the same. But, um... I think the only one that we don't have is, of course... Bentley. No, Bentley's down here, too. But, um... Who's the daughter? Valeria? Yeah. Is it Valeria or Valerie? Valeria, I thought. Mm. And she's been gone to Latveria. Val. Val. We can call her Val. She's been gone to Latveria. There's another weird thing that comes up here, which is that Bentley notices that Namor always looks at Susan like a little longing and sad. Awesome. <laughs> and, and, and of course, Franklin's like, Franklin's yeah, like, yeah he's, she's, he's always done that. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Uncle Namor's weirdo. Well, Namor is a weirdo. But... Yeah, yeah. Especially around Christmas time. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> God. Uh, you give presents. Stop inviting him. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. Imperial rocks, and he destroys the tree. <laughs> Oh, he's drinking again. Uh, right. Damn, a little green behind the gills. Uh, find him later with a giant beard, and Johnny's going to have to burn it off. <laughs> Anyhow. So, going back to Val, we uh, we find out that she took off shortly after the end of the, the previous run with Fantastic Four, when they finally got back to our regular timeline, to go spend time with her uncle, uh, Dr. Doom. Uncle Victor. Uncle Vic. Uh-huh. Right. And uh, we kind of catch up with her, and they're kind of inspecting the city of Latveria. And she's like, uh, she thinks that she might be able to bring out the good in him. Which, of course, they're kind of worried the opposite's going to happen. It's unicorn time logic. Mommy and Daddy tell me half-truths, and Mommy's just complacent to Daddy. I'm going to go hang out with Dr. Doom. <laughs> Magic unicorn time. It's true. He's got doom in his name. Nothing can go wrong. No, he must be okay. He never lied to me. Damn it. He is a doctor. Give him some credit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. He has a good point there. What's he a doctor of, Curtis? Evil. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I hold two doctorates. One in science, one in evil. I'm only a master in sorcery. <laughs> awesome. Oh Apparently, God. the rating system goes different for sorcerers. Mm-hmm. You're not a doctor sorcerer? He didn't get doctor in sorcery yet. Ah. Not yet. Yeah, that's, that's good. But you do have to be a doctor, evidently, to be a sorcerer. Yeah, that's, that's true. At least in Marvel. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's strange, pretty yeah. true in DC, too. Yeah? Well, close. Dr. Fate. Yeah. Dr. Light. Well, he's, yeah. not, he's not a sorcerer. Dr. Constantine? Yeah. I don't think he's a. I don't, I, don't think, I think that's one of those ones you get online. Sargon. No. Must have been one of the back issues. <laughs> there you go. He may have had a brilliant college career. Who knows? 
But uh, she basically is telling him, like, well, you've spent so much time trying to pull down the world. Maybe it's time that you start building it up. And so she's going to try to make life in Latveria better, which is probably good because it's, like, I don't know, 100 years behind the rest of the world. That's oppression. Yeah, that's true. And I didn't know they had a flag. I don't know if they did previously. It looks cool. Heck yeah. And their soldiers have snazzy outfits, too. Like the British Guard. Evidently, he decided to go with real soldiers for a little while anyways, instead of just the Doombots. Doombots are when you need to fight an army. Maybe it's all a trick. It's going to be fuzzy hats. That's true. They could be be Doombots underneath the fuzzy hats. I doubt that. Call them the Q-tip brigade. But, um... From there, we kind of flash back to seeing Johnny, and he's in his office with... Uh, well, he's not in his office. He's in his manager's office. Right. And the manager's basically like, Are you okay, Johnny? I want to make sure you're going to be good for doing a concert. Because concert, concert, money. And Johnny's kind of having a flashback of um, what they talked about last time, which was like the asbestos man. Which I'm not going to lie... Asbestos man looks awesome in this picture. <laughs> he really does. He looks like a dude wearing a gas mask with a shield and a gladiator net. <laughs> and, awesome. his, and his gas mask looks like it has a, an underwater aquatic fin. So, like, he kind of looks like a sexual. I'm pretty sure Johnny said he was dead. Mm-hmm. But once again, we go back to this kind of, oh, yeah, those years were, were good, goofy fun. Like, I used to have fun being a superhero. What happened? Either way, he's basically just reassuring the guy that he's okay and that he's ready to do this and that he's fine with not having the powers. And we flash back to uh, Reed and his lab, and he's like, What the deuce? I just I discovered something about the, the crazy bug people. And so, of course, he calls back Nick, who is evidently always waiting by the phone. Like, just whatever. Nick, Dick has no secretary. Like the... The TV guy in Dexter's lab, and the Justice Friends, and the guy who lived in the TV. Yes, there we go. He may have like a wristwatch that just projects his face onto the TV. That'd be great. Anyhow, so basically, what uh, what Reed's found out is that you can't kill the bugs. The people, <laughs> the bugs are people. <laughs> just like Soylent Green. It tastes so good because it's made of people. People. Sure, the green is people. That means he's not a curator. He made canned soiling greenies or put them on the shelves. Yeah, because they've been experimenting trying to kill him yeah. this whole time. So, yeah. So we flash back to uh, Ben kind of walking down. Uh, looks like Times Square with Johnny. And he's in his old disguise, so he's got the gigantic trench coat and hat, and like everybody on the streets, like, oh my god, there's a crazy thing, and you know, a trench coat and hat, which is kind of funny because like he's pretty well known, so he's like a celebrity now. He could just walk around without it, but whatever. And so Ben is basically like, "Are you okay, Johnny? You know, right? You don't got your powers." And Johnny's basically like, "I'm tired of people asking me that. Like, I'm fine. Just stop worrying about it, and I'll be okay." And so he tries to turn the subject back to him and and his girlfriend. And um, we kind of have a little bit of talk back and forth between that before we see a giant glowing crowbar smash the ground. I'm just like... Joker? Uh, it could be. <laughs> except for he'd have to travel a long way across the universe and to a different kind of state. Not a different country. 
<laughs> state, universe, Rob, universe, universe, no, and move state, on, move forward. But uh, they crash up the street. We see Johnny and the thing get thrown, and uh, Ben's basically like, "Are you okay, Johnny?" And Johnny's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine." And like he's trying to get up, and the thing's like ripping off his uh, trench coat. And I see as the dust kind of settles, there's the wrecker holding his uh, crowbar there. And Johnny's like, flame on! And then he just realizes, oh, yeah, I can't. I can't do that. And the thing's like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just the wrecker. I'll take care of him and the wrecking crew. It doesn't matter to me. They're all kind of dummies. And then we kind of see in the, uh, in the smoke, we see another character in the background and then somebody kind of floating in the sky. And he's like, you, that may have been true, you Nathanderals. Nathanderials, oaf. Neanderthals. Yes. Okay, I evidently can't say it, but I can read it in my mind. Mm. You damn caveman. If you are still fighting the wrecking crew, but behold the new frightful fool. Which is actually more of the wrecking crew than anything else. Yeah. So it's like the wizard, the wrecker, thunderball, and a really, really, really small bulldozer. I'm not entirely familiar with the Wrecking Crew. Did you say you upgraded them? Yeah, maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he says the improved. Yeah. My latest improved and updated version of the Fantastic or the Frightful Four. Well, I think it's just improved because it's not the original Frightful Four. Well, the one guy's the bulldozer's wearing a whole bunch of like electronic weirdness. Well, it looks like bulldozer's old stuff. It just looks on it's on a child. And the absorbing man's got a beanie on. That's, oh. not, that's not the absorbing man. No, what's his name? Thunderball. Thunderball's got a beanie Yeah, on. there you go. Yeah. Maybe that's where... Thunderball! Maybe that's the... Oh, yeah, he does have a beanie on. That's weird. Maybe that's the upgrade. He's taking his, <laughs> he's taking his cues from Luke Cage. Let's see why not. Huh. Luke never got better than when he decided to you know, shave his head. So. Throw that hair on the ground because there's no hair to hold it? Yes. Oh. Well, there was a limited time where he was running around in the jacket, and he had just... The weird, like, shaved spot in his head. I was going to say, it would look weird wearing a tiara with a bald head. That's true. I mean, not that a tiara looks fine with it, (laughs) there, but, yeah. Uh, There was one character that pulled it off. Mm -hmm. It was the animated cyborg. He pulled off a tiara. It's true. But that's about it. That's about it. And, you know, it's Power Man and Wonder Woman, and that's about it. I can do the tiara. Yeah. All right, that's a good point. Yeah, you know. Uh, costume choice is weird. Anyway, that's where the issue ends, and they leave us with the new Frightful Four, and basically the Wrecking Crew there to mess up Johnny and the mm. thing. Which I'm going to have to see, because I, I have not gotten to finish, unfortunately, the Superior Carnage. And from where I was reading last, the wizard was losing his full mind. Like, he couldn't keep anything straight. Hmm. So, I don't know what... If he, if he got fixed in that, because I know that the Carnage symbiote joined with him for a second. Oh, right. Yeah, but I, have, okay. I, I, I haven't, remember that. Yeah, I haven't got to finish that story yet, so I don't know if it fixed his brain hmm. or what. Because, I mean, that's why AIM grabbed him to begin with, to start building their little island in Barbados, because he was a genius. He was just a madman. And he now continues to be that way. And, like, he's got a new fixation with the Fantastic Four because he was trying to show up the Fantastic Four to, like, get Bentley. His son slash clone? Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yes. The funniest part of the whole FF little power pack thing going on. Mm. He's hilarious. Yeah, I love Bentley. He's great. 
Curtis score book out. <clears throat> it's uh, been well documented that I don't like Franklin or Valeria, so I'm gonna give it a two and a half. Oh, but they're very, they're sparsely in this. I know, but I hate them. Okay, that's understandable. Ross, I'd probably give it a two. I didn't think it was very good. Oh, did you see the Doctor Doom pictures? Doctor Doom's <laughs> cool, and the referencing old Marvel teams is cool. But other than that. And I typically like like the science-y, Fantastic Four stuff. I don't understand anything. I think probably issue two was a stronger issue. Yeah. So. Book-wise, there's more action in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, Rob's score? Uh, I'd give it a three. I actually got to enjoy the Fantastic Four mostly today, so... Uh, I, I, re- I like where they're going with it. Um, I think it's odd that we keep coming back to, like... It was better back in the day. It was better back in the day. It was easier. It was funner. I don't know if that's something that they're trying to go over with this book. If we're trying to like bring it back to the more carefree Fantastic Four, or what. Or they're just maybe trying to point out that it's a lot darker world now. It's hard to say. Yeah, I'm not sure they're referencing the old old universe stuff. Or not old universe, I guess. The old, the old days. Because it's all the same universe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, not I guess it is the same universe. Yeah, I, that part's a little weird to me too. I guess. I, I think overall, I I give it a two and a half. Like, I, it's not bad writing, and like you said, I think number two is a stronger book. So on its own, three is not as strong as number two or number one was. Uh, but like, I was talking to Nolan a little earlier today, actually. Um, he came by, he was picking up books, and so far he's liking it a lot. But he's also a Fantastic Four fan. But as far as books are concerned, he's liking where they're going, and he likes the references to the old stuff because that's that's his time frame, man. Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff back whenever the thing team up book was happening, that was like his prime for comic books. So like, the, I I wonder if maybe they're trying to, to remind people that stuff happened to sort of shape the direction they're going to go with it, maybe. Uh, which I I guess I'm all I'm I'm all for that. If that's what what they're trying to do. And do you think the red uniform's a little weird? I like them. Yeah. I, I guess the reason I like the white one so much is because Spider-Man looks so awesome. But the, other than that, like I didn't really think too much of Sue's or, or yeah, Ben's or or Richard's outfit when they were white. I just I thought Spider-Man looked great. And then from there, I guess they was just accepted because of that. So the red for me is weird. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the red either. I actually did like the black a little bit better, or the the white a little bit better. I especially liked it because it had the shape change or the uh, color change quality. So it could oh, be black right. or white. Yeah. And I thought they played with that. Cool. Yeah, I thought they played with that quite a bit. Um, I think I, I've nailed the two things that drive me nuts about it. Is one, the red's almost too close to things' skin color. So that drives me nuts. And then two is that Johnny and Reed both have the same four logo. Right. And then Sue doesn't. Hers is like red on top instead of the black. Huh. And so it, it just looks weird. I remember having a hard time with that in the first issue, being like, why does her four look all messed up? <laughs> Took me a while to figure it out. No, I noticed that, too. She, she's the only one who got it. The other two, normal. But it's not a big deal with the thing. No, well, I, I just don't like that it's just so close to the same mm. color. You're weird. I guess. Yeah, I'll give you I, that. I, I like the the blue breakup. But... And back on Franklin? Yeah. I think 96 was the first time I got exposed to him, and I hated him back then. Really? Yeah. Wow. 96 or 98. Well, give me, there's a fair amount of time that I felt he was an annoying child. Still is. Yeah. 
okay. Still is Fantastic Four, not Fantastic Six. That doesn't rhyme. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I mean? Oh. And Valeria is smarter than Reed? No. Uh, I, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, okay, yeah, that part I don't... She's definitely not making smart choices. Well, maybe maybe the whole Doom thing will work out for her. That's just, like I was saying earlier, it's more unicorn. So the same thing is going on in Arrow right now. Man, unicorn time everywhere. These nonsense. Ridiculous. Ah, man. I'm going to go make him better because he never lied to me yet. Oh, yeah, he exterminates everybody because Dr. Doom is <laughs> awesome. Future Foundation. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. The other power pack. Whatever. I didn't mind uh, Franklin when he was like the Calvin and Hobbes kid in the back of uh, all the comics. <laughs> the back of stories? Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Both back. Yeah, when he had baby Lockjaw. Yeah. Still. I like Lockjaw. Right. <laughs> he doesn't need to be dragged down by Franklin. Oh man. Alright, well let's move on to the, uh, seven, the seventh sword. From uh, IDW and Derby Pop Comics. Derby Pop. <laughs> Odd name, but yes. The art's pretty... I don't, I, Is Dave, Dave Wall still in that? Um, He's not writing. He He's still con- in connected to Derby Pop. Like editor? Or yeah, editor something like something. that. I'm not exactly sure what he's doing for them, but it's like his spinoff from their company, I guess. So I'm not sure if he's just stamping approval on it like George Lucas used to do, or what. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. And the, uh, the artist is Nelson Blake the second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the art. It's good. He did some Witchblade stuff back in the day. Yeah. That would make sense, actually, kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. From days old days. I guess it's written by John Ruffo. Mm. I don't know that uh, guy. Raffo. He's got a little thing here at the front of it. But um, pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. So he might be somebody to keep an eye on as time goes by. Because he's the creator and writer of the Seventh Sword. But, um, so, I guess we, we open up with, um, this kind of tanker truck driving off across the desert. And we kind of see our main character here, who's, uh, almost Conanish. Yeah, kind of. Is. That's a cool word. Conanish. <laughs> well, hopefully it's descriptive for people. <laughs> but, um, he's kind of talking to the other people about guarding the truck. And there's at least two people that have kind of like a flamethrower thing going on. Uh, one lady and then this kind of younger kid. And then we see the truck driver and he's kind of like got an Abraham Lincoln beard <laughs> and a bray. He looks freaking awesome. And they're talking about, you know, having to get this, this tanker truck across the waist. And uh, one of them looks out with their macro binoculars and they see these hooded figures kind of running across the desert. Presumably, they're fast enough to evidently catch up with the tanker truck. Well, first, I think it's a cloud. They, the, the first one mentions it being, looks like a sandstorm coming. Mm. And then that's why he uses the binoculars, and he sees the hooded figures in the closet in the clouds, the storm to come. It's, yeah. Anyway, go on. And they manage to jump on the truck. And uh, it winds up being these kind of, like, robots in full-on, like, desert. Desert cloaks with axes. They explain what kind of they explain they're part of a, like robots from a mining company corporation and then that they're I don't know if they're just gone rogue or what they don't really explain that part too much but apparently mm. they're a particular type of cyborg or robot 
Yeah, he says that they can smell the gas. In the tanker truck, yeah. And so they've come to try to collect it or whatever. But yeah, they start to attacking the the caravan. And our main character like winds up chopping one of their heads off. And the body keeps fighting him, and so he has to cut it in half. And we go over to the other character, and they're like using the little flamethrowers to kind of burn him. And the driver is like reminding her to watch out for, you know, to get the flame too close to the truck. Right. And he kind of, the driver manages to like brace the wheel, I guess, and he comes out and he starts fighting him with a club. So we have the two of them kind of battling against one. And uh, as they're fighting it, it loses hold of its axe and it winds up smashing into the side of the uh, the tanker truck. So we're starting to have gas leak out the side. And um, we flash back to their Conan-like character and like uh, his his assistant, the kid with the flamethrower, winds up getting punched by one of the robots and it's like enough to really bring the kid down. And um, main character kind of like fights him back a little bit and checks on him and he's like so badly hurt from this punch. And he's like, he's almost dying. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird. That part, it was a little odd for me. He must have punched him, like, hard enough to maybe break his neck or something. I'm not, yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to say. Like, the next one kind of comes at him with this flail, and he winds up cutting off its legs and stabbing it on the truck base. And we flash back over to the, the truck driver and the other one with the flamethrower. And, um... They fire on him, and it manages to catch the gas. And so we have a large explosion that blows half the tranker truck apart. The entire time this is all happening, it's very, like, Mad Max Road Warrior-y. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And it's very quick. Yeah. Like, all this stuff is taking place very fast. And so we're flashing back and forth between these two, two sides of the truck. Um, and most of this is also taking place during the night. And so the next day, you know, the dawn is coming, and we're seeing the sunlight pour over the desert. And we see our kind of Conan-like character undig himself out of the desert sands. And he winds up finding the kid that was with him, the one that we thought was dead. Yeah, initially, like, when the kid gets hurt, he promises the kid, I'll, I'll get you out of here, I'll protect you. And then after that's when the truck blows up. And the next morning we find the two of them by themselves, like, buried in the sand. Mm-hmm. And from there, he kind of, he winds up taking the kid all the way off to the point where he finds a couple of these trees that are kind of just out in the desert. And so he buries his sword and sheath and his upper armor in the shade, in the shadow of the tree, presumably so he can find it later. And then he continues to carry the kid uh, in which direction he thinks the settlements are going to be. And he winds up actually walking so far that he winds up collapsing. And these two riders see them and kind of scoop them up with nets and, like, drag them back to their city. And the city's kind of got a really interesting look because it's both medieval and kind of Japanese at the same time. And uh, they have these kind of symbols that are, like, overlapping circles with different colors that are made in between. Um, so when our character wakes back up, he's been handcuffed to, uh, like, the doctor's bed. And you have kind of this older man that's got, like, the three-circle pattern on his chest. And then a younger guy. And the younger guy is very stern and, like, questioning and, like, he's going to get his answers. And the other guy's kind of more mellow. Um, but evidently, the city that they're in 
is kind of almost like a city of legend. So like when he, when the older guy st starts telling him about it, he's like, "Oh, that city doesn't exist. You can't be, you got to be pulling me my leg," you know. And the other guy's convinced that he's some kind of spy that's going to uh, report on them to another city. And um, so as they kind of question him, he's been kind of open with what his whole deal was and like who he was working for. Or like who he wasn't working with, because they're they're convinced he's working with some warlord. Yeah, uh, say the warlord. Kavenik. I don't know how you pronounce it. Kavenik, something. But um, they decide that they're going to uh, bring him before their council, and they kind of talk it to him a little bit about the kid, but they don't really reveal whether the kid survived or not, or what they found out with him. So they kind of bring him through town. And the old man's kind of describing what's going on, or uh, relaying to him the history of this place. And they eventually come to a large kind of counselor building, where he's put in front of uh, three judges and uh, a whole panel of, of people that are going to kind of observe. And it seems like we find from there that the old man is some kind of ruling class, as he kind of sits down in the middle of the judges' table. And from there he's questioned by these other two administrators. And um, we kind of find out from there that he's... he was a soldier in a, a war that's already been either oh, fought yeah. or lost. Yeah, it's something that we ended. I kind of felt like it was something that we didn't do great for, and he was supposed to be born on Earth, and so this is evidently not Earth. Yeah, they talk about how he came to their world as part of the UN. Where he, where he describes it, he's, he came as part of the UN with the peacekeepers and the way they view him as, as a as part of an army assaulting their world. So wherever world they're on is not Earth and he's apparently from Earth originally and I guess whenever the war ended everyone from Earth was returned home or was forced to go home. It sounds like they probably lost the war and uh, had to go back to Earth. But his group was left, and they're, apparently the group he was part of was part of the forefront of the battle. Like, the, wherever they were, were so far in territory battle-wise, and so many that when they were trying to return to get back on the dropships, uh, the dropships left them. So his whole group was like the first platoon sent in or whatever, and they got left because they couldn't get back in time. So uh, they don't look on him very favorably, simply because it's like... The way, at least the one lady, when she's talking to him, he, he kind of calls himself a samurai, and she gets super pissed. And is like, oh, you're a samurai warrior for hire? Like, piss, piss. Stands up yelling at him style. And that whole UN thing, crazy, man. So whatever war happened before, it, I don't know if it was us invading their world, or if it was uh, what exactly was happening. But the way he makes it sound is that they went there to as, as administrators of peace, and he wasn't actually connected to a particular army. He was part of the UN. But the way they view him is definitely as an assaulter of the world. Yeah. They mentioned uh, whether he was a fighter, he knew how to handle a sword, and he said, oh, I've studied Bushido, and that's where she was like, oh, you're a samurai, my God. So, like, whatever they were, they got a pretty nasty reputation. But um, we cut from there to uh, a convoy, like a supply truck coming in, and this guy's kind of checking him out, checking out the truck, and he realizes that he has a knife tucked in his belt. He's like, oh, well, the city policy is that you can't have any weapons in the city. 
He goes, oh, that's a very good idea, and he kind of takes the knife out, and as he gets close to him, he flips it around and stabs him. And so he winds up killing the guy who was checking in his, his truck, and they pull the rest of the truck in. Because it's a good policy, because he seems to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And he stabs the dude and basically guts him. Uh, from there, we kind of flash back to the council, and we kind of have... They've, they've kind of made the decision that they're going to hold him in custody, because he's too dangerous to be left alone. Um, we kind of have a little bit of rebuke from him, but we see the same transport truck open up in the courtyard, and all these crazy, like, frogmen kind of come running out with swords, and they start just running at civilians and attacking them and spitting acid on them and stuff. And they open up the back of the trailer that they were presumably in, and this, like, shadowy female figure starts coming walking out, and all the frogmen are, like, bowing to her. And then we see them attack the the kind of court area. And they're not having a whole lot of trouble with the uh, the guards there, because, of course, none of them have weapons, aside from, like, maybe batons. And these things have swords and stuff, and so they kill one of the guards. And then uh, the council people are, like, fighting their way out. One of uh, the lady that was all upset about him being Bushido was, uh, or being Samurai, like, pretty handy with a pitcher. <laughs> Cracks a couple of them over the head. But we see kind of the older guy that was standing up for our main character get stabbed. And uh, as everybody's kind of being overrun by these frog creatures, the prisoner starts, like, kicking them in their backs. And he explains that they're a certain kind of creature that's been cloned. And each of these clones have the exact same weakness. So all you have to do is, like, exploit their weakness. And so he demands to be untied. And he goes around kind of dealing with these clone creatures by kicking them in the spine, which is evidently their weak spot. And uh, he managed to kind of fight back a bunch of them, but there's still so many. And then we see the same guy who came in with the delivery blow this kind of whistle, and all the clones are, like, grabbing their ears and falling to the ground, and then they're kneeling once they see it's him. And he basically explains that they're being invaded? Well, he... He tells he tells them that they need to stand down, and uh, he orders the clones to quit attacking. And the warlord, whatever, <laughs> Kigalusing, has a message. Yeah, he's basically there there to deliver a message from the warlord, and uh, then he makes the introduction of the lady who's in the back of the truck. The oh so most awesome, Spectroica Five. And it's like this lady with kind of a crazy robot body, like a humanoid head. She's got these like crazy like spine spider arms kind of coming off the back of her. Yeah, like the it's the girl that's on the bottom corner of the front issue, depending on which cover you got. Um, but yeah, she's basically cyborg with like these spider legs that come out of her back. So if and our our, main, our guy ex- explains when he sees her that she's basically more cyborg than human now. Or humanoid. And, uh, yeah, she looks freaking badass. She, when I saw her, she kind of reminded me of, uh, Death's Wife from East to West. Yeah. Kind of same demeanor. She had a very similar look. Even the color scheme's kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she looks badass. She's basically telling them, like, you can either join with us or we're going to destroy you. Yeah, she basically told them they have, they have three days, I think, or two days? Ten days. Ten days. They have ten days before their convoy with the warlord's going to show up, and 
You make make your decisions between now and then because we're coming. That's pretty much where they leave it. I mean, we find out that the the councilman, the one that was talking to uh, our, our samurai, as it was, the lady got super pissed that the, that's on the council is his daughter, mm-hmm. and she's holding him on the floor where he's been stabbed. And like, if he's the chair, the main chair of the of the of the town, like at this point they're kind of lost. So like, I don't know. I think story wise in general, like, I get a very uh, oh, man. What's that? The black and white with the two different sides fighting each other. Movie. Seven Samurai. Yeah, it, it was well, similar. Not not Seven Samurai. I think you're thinking of Sabi Ojimbo or yeah. Last Man Standing. Last Man Standing. That's what I'm thinking of. It, they see, it feels very much like that. Like, they haven't really accepted him at this point, but it seems to be like if anybody's going to try to save him, it'll probably be him. I mean, he is definitely our main character as far as books are concerned. But what happened to the kid? Who knows? Because they said they're trying to help the kid, and they pretty much brush past it and move on to taking him to basically get interrogated. But yeah, I don't know. Story-wise, it moves pretty quick. It kind of moves... It's very... Sort of cinematic. Kind of like uh, Dead Body Road. Like, when the way things move. Like, the whole entire fight on the back of the oil tanker is very much like that. I mean, it's like action movie. Yeah. I got a... Like, you, you get a really good, like... Like, Road Warrior, That's Mad Max kind of feel. Yeah. But, um... I don't know. When I was reading it, like... Even though there isn't the apes, I got a very, like, Planet of the Apes feel to this story. Huh. Which I, I really kind of dug. I thought that was a really cool element. Um, it's neat that we kind of, in- instead of being the main character that's just learning about this world, we're actually kind of encountering it from the city's point of view, because most of them don't seem to understand or know about the outside world, which he seems to know more about. Because he knew what the clones were, and he kind of knew what the gastroids were, and... Well, yeah, he's so, definitely been around the, the the ballpark as far as that goes. Well, yeah, I guess they they do seem a little, not really sheltered, but maybe they didn't um, they didn't understand what the weakness of these frogmen were. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess as as them being you know almost this hidden city, maybe they just haven't encountered all these things because they knew about the warlord, they just didn't know what he employed. Right. And he employs a lot of like super sciencey stuff. So anyway, art's pretty good. The story's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, Raw scorebook? I'd probably give it a three. It's it's good. I I like the samurai feel to it and the crazy robots and stuff. But right, it's kind of like Samurai Jack almost. Yeah, it, actually, I didn't even think about that, but it is yeah, similar feel. Right, uh, Rob. I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot more than I even thought I was going to. So I give it probably three and a half. I actually really really thought it was a great story. So. Yeah, I mean the same park. I, I give it a three and a half too. It seemed like a cool idea or premise at the beginning, but it, as far as cell wise, it it moves pretty cool. And like the way the the story doesn't seem to be like the most in like super deep story, but at the same time it's like an action movie and it, it moves very much like that. And I don't know. I guess that's what I like. Yeah, Curtis. It's got a very sci-fi feel to it with right. uh, some fantasy tropes. It feels. Um, I'm all for it. Um, a book I I wish I picked up. I'll give it a three and a half. Hmm. And when I, one of the things I've liked about it so far is that it feels like it's it's been a pretty well thought out world. So I have to really give it that, you know, because a lot of times it would be, oh, they're robots and they're just doing robot things and that's why they attack. But you know, they actually came up with a reason for that and a reason that that worked well. So I feel like this world has been pretty well thought out. So I'm really excited to see where it goes. 
Yeah, I agree. It's a fun book. That, that chick looks so gnarly at the end with her, like, she just looks so badass. The crazy, oh yeah, she just looks awesome. Anyway, um, yeah, that's from uh, IDW, and the uh, book itself is The Seventh Sword, and it, Derby Pop is the sub-genre for IDW that's coming out from. I don't know if it would be a genre, but... Well, I don't know. It's kind of like... So, you know how uh, there's some... Vertigo mm-hmm. for DC? I mm-hmm. think it's the same idea. Sub-publisher? Yeah. There you go. Sub-publisher. Which, yeah. Imprint. Imprint. There ah, you go. there you go. Good stuff. So I haven't really seen a whole lot of anything from Derby Pop yet. Right, right. Well, there's a few other books, but so far this one's probably been the one most of us have read. This is the first one that I thought, hey, I'd like this. Right. Because don't don't they have that book, Indestructible? They have Indestructible, which actually isn't bad. The one with the eye? Yeah. Eye machine or something? Oh, Oh, yeah. The city... Oh, shoot. Um, Something in the city. Dang, I can't remember the name of that. Eye of the Mind of the City? Something like that, maybe. It's, it's kind of I, like, I of the City? I Man, I don't remember the title. It's kind of like got a it's got a, it's got a long title. Uh, city of the Mind in the Machine. That's that's it. City of the Mind in the Machine. Anyway, but yeah, that's that's the other one. I haven't, I haven't really read that one yet, but it's also sci-fi. Anyway, um... Let's go ahead and move on to Birds of Prey number 30. Dun dun birds. <laughs> dun dun prey. Yeah. Is this about Klingons? No. That's a spaceship. In Star Trek. Oh, my bad. These are the other kind of birds. A warbird? Kind of. That, that's no. also. It's about the Romulans? No. That's oh. also another. Not uh, Star Trek affiliated. Okay. Not this time. But, um, so previously to this issue, we've come across a character called Mother Eve. Evidently, Mother Eve can naturally rejuvenate herself, which has brought in um, Rachel Ghoul's attention to her. Right. Rach wants to find out her secret. And so she's actually, or I'm sorry, he's actually promised Black Canary a portion of his Lazarus Pit chemical. Right. To bring her husband out of his coma. Yeah. Well, it gives her a little sample to show her that it'll work. And I, I think I don't think she knew it was Lazarus Pit at the time. I, I can't remember if they actually told her, here's some Lazarus Pit juice. Yeah, I, luck. I don't know if he tells her what it is at all. I don't think he does. I, Later I, on, they make mention of it. But I don't think he told her at first. Yeah, I just assumed that that's what it was. Right. Since. Well, since I mean, the race. color makes sense. Is her being married... New to the new Fifty Two. Well, I don't know. Because she was there married was... to Green Arrow later, yeah, but I don't know if she had a husband. Oh, you know what she did? Not. She yeah. did have a husband that got killed. Yes, and that, she, no, that isn't new. She That's... she always blamed herself for the death of the husband. Right. Um, and evidently, some law enforcement groups blamed her for the death of the husband. Yeah. But um, but yeah, so it is kind of, but it's like way back in the olden days of DC. Yeah. That... Yeah, that's that's far back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Because I remember they, they undug that story towards the end of the old universe, too. For a little while after she'd, like, thrown the ring back at Green Arrow. Wait, yeah. Either way, though. That went sideways. But, yeah. Yeah. But um, they've, they've kept that 
uh, ideal in play from the beginning of the new Birds of Prey. Well, yeah. they, they've kept the idea that the husband's not dead. He's in this coma. Yeah. But, yeah, he's still, in theory, he's still alive. But that's been going on since the new 52. So, um, evidently, Mother Eve is going to rejuvenate inside of this yacht. And she's got all of the Birds of Prey kind of staked out around the building. So we got Batgirl and Styx, uh, or the Talon girl, up on the deck. And then we got the uh, the Falcon, who is uh, kind of covering the back of the boat. And Race has sent his League of Assassins to uh, to attack the boat. But he's got Black Canary, or she's got Black Canary, guarding the main chamber. Right. And unbeknownst to Barbara and the rest of the birds... They don't have any idea that Agul has had this interlude with the Black Canary. Yes. Evidently, she's already used the sample on uh, on her husband, and he's kind of come out of his coma, at least enough to like have it's a off. rational talk. Yeah. Yes. So, but um, yeah, we kind of begin with like uh, Babs and uh, and Sticks fighting off uh, a whole bunch of ninjas on the deck, and they're talking about like how they've been placed out here and how dangerous the situation is with Raish, and, you know, she's kind of wondering why it was so important to have the Black Canary, you know, guarding the, um, the main chamber when she could be so much more effective out on the deck. And they're kind of coordinating with each other. And then we kind of see that Condor is kind of at the back of the ship, just kind of pushing them off with his telekinesis. So while they're fighting in the front, he's kind of just completely taking care of the back of the boat. Yeah, he's actually holding his own pretty well in this. Like, I, I guess I never really thought about him as, like, a, a attack group of people. But, yeah, being able to fly in his, all of his telekinesis powers, he's doing a pretty good job, actually. Mm-hmm. And they kind of sell home again the the idea of Raish giving her the, the miracle cure and her testing it on the husband and how, you know, oh, if I just, if I just let him in then I can have my husband back. And I can have that life again. And so she's got this kind of debate in her mind of whether or not she's going to stop Raish if he gets there. Right. Was it you were talking about unicorn time earlier, Steve? Yes. This is a prime example. If I just let him in, maybe he won't kill the lady and take over the universe, and I'll get my husband back, and everything will be magically great. Well, I think she realizes that Mother Eve would probably not survive the situation. Oh, yeah, she knows. But, um... Well, the, we, we flash back up to deck, and uh, we see Condor sees that there's a group of, uh, God, I wanted to call them hand ninjas there for a second, uh, oh, the, the League, League of Shadows. League of Assassins. Yeah. Shadows, yeah. Uh, trying to get into the, um, the infirmary on the boat, and evidently Lance is in the infirmary, uh, Black Canary's husband. And so he kind of has this moment where he's like, if I just don't do anything right now, they'll go in there and they'll kill the vegetable. And, you know, yeah, the black canary, she'll be upset for a while, but she'll eventually get over him because he'll be finally dead. And then maybe we can actually start this relationship because, like, I guess they had a relationship for a while somewhere between Team 7 and now right. when Black Canary kind of thought that her husband was dead. But, you know, I... 
I don't know. We didn't get to quite see all that stuff play out, even in Team Seven. No, we didn't, we didn't get a full answer for it. But I mean, uh, it's very much. What, what, what were we talking about? Unicorn time earlier, Ryan? Yeah, he's got a little bit of unicorn time there too. Yeah. If only her husband was dead, then my unicorn powers would help me. It'd be awesome because she would feel bad for a second, but then I'd be able to sweep her off her feet, and everything would be magically great. It'd be great. Stupid unicorns, man. But he basically decides, like, ah, that's not the right way to be. And so he comes flying in, and he winds up uh, fighting with a bunch of the assassins in there, along with, uh, I guess, some of the ship hands. Yeah. He winds up being able to uh, defeat most of them and push them out. And he says something. He's basically talking to some of the other guards to, like, make sure that they can defend his his, kind of crippled body. Lance, yeah. Yeah. And in the end, he's like, oh, thanks for saving me. And he's like, oh, you spoke. I can't believe it. Like, he hadn't really known that she was, or that that he was awake yet. No one knows about him getting the... the, the Oh, it's just Black Canary. Only Black Canary knows he's been treated. So no one else knows he can talk. Everybody else still thinks he's vegetable, vegetable. And he's completely out of it. Fixed at all. And, yeah, so for him, that was a complete shock because no one else knew that. Mm -hmm. But at least he did the right thing. No, yeah, I mean, he makes the choice fairly quick. Yeah. But the the next step is, uh, Race is gonna invade his own, on, his, on his own, so he has, uh, his group of ninjas fire all these smoke bombs onto the deck. And so as the smoke comes up, uh, Raish kind of sneaks inside, and he leaves his Night Lord, kind of his second-in-command, which I thought was a different guy, but I... I don't know, it's been a long time since I did much of the race. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily remember this guy, but he might have been in the dishes before this, but I don't mm. remember. I don't remember him in particular because he looks just like the rest of them <laughs> with a different, like, head he's, towel thing. He's got some red. Yeah. The rest of them got, got the black. Yeah. Anyway, so he leaves him to, like, guard his path, and Ray sneaks inside. And uh, Batgirl evidently planned for this as an eventuality, so she has a bunch of helicopters that were waiting just off the boat. And so Condor, like, relays to her, you know, like, my telekinesis can't do anything to smoke. I'm not making wind, so there's nothing I can do to help you. But uh, she calls in the helicopters, and they come and, like, disperse the smoke across the deck. And so the rest of them find the smoke bombs and kick them off into the ocean. And then we continue to beat the heck out of ninjas. There's an awful lot of ninja fighting in, the, in this book. There's a lot of fighting in this book, which yeah. is cool. I liked it a lot, actually. Although, I think this is the first time I've ever seen Barbara use tonfas or, like, uh, nightsticks. So, heck, she might make that a part of her stuff. Cause, That's pretty cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I did, too. I thought that was actually a really neat idea. Because she's always, you know, done a lot of hand-to-hand. But, like, I think that's a neat addition. And I like that they look different than... Nightwings, too. They weren't, like, the exact same ones that he uses. Yeah, because I think he uses, like, he almost uses, like, collie sticks. Yeah. Which I think they call them something else, but... There you go. Screamer sticks, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, it was kind of cool to have the the night sticks for her and Tophus. Or bat sticks. I don't think you call them bat sticks, because she's not really part of the bat. Well, she's a bat girl. Well, okay. That's true. Maybe they are bat sticks. <laughs> that's all right. Guano sticks. Maybe that's something different. That's funny, though. <laughs> but um, we go back to Black Canary, and she can hear Rachel Ghoul like, breaking in through the electronic lock. And uh, she's, she's still kind of, like, wrestling with this decision, whether she's going to let him in or not. 
or let him go into uh, where Mother Eve is at. And so, uh, of course, he comes walking in and is basically like expecting her to step aside and it's like, oh, I have the full dose of this chemical to help him out. Why don't you just take it and you can be out of here? Nobody will know any different. And so she kind of reaches for it for a moment. And then she does a black canary karate kick and kicks it out of his hand and it smashes against the wall. And she's like, you know what? Whenever I was reaching for that, I could hear my, I could hear my husband's name or my husband's voice telling me that this isn't who you are. And so you got to be true to yourself. And so, of course, she and Race start fighting, and Race is like, oh, your Sonic Scream can't do anything to me because I've got my ears protected from from this, so there's no way that uh, you can have an advantage against me. And as he's getting ready to, she's getting ready to kind of, like, seriously fight him. From out of the shadows, we get a ninja trying to uh, use, like, a like a piano line almost on her throat. Right. And he tries to choke her, and he like, drags her out into the uh, out, out of the hallway into the, onto the deck. And she's talking about how Oh, yeah, that would have worked on me, you know, a couple of years ago, several years ago when I was a child. But now I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And she, like, throws him on the deck, kind of does some kung fu. And you can kind of tell that this is actually Nightmaster. Right, because he's got the colors. He's got the different color cloth. And so he's fighting with her, and he's basically like, uh, this is going back to an older issue of the Birds of Prey where they faced off before. And he's talking about how, oh, yeah, this this time I'm going to finish this. Nobody's going to be here to stop me from, from taking your life this time. And she fights him for a minute, and then she takes off down the hallway, and he's like, what, really, this is what you're going to do? You're going to run away? This is how you're going to deal with your fights? And she's, she gets about outside the door, and she's like, you know, there's something I have this time that I didn't have last time. And as she's, like, parrying away from the door, she's like a team, and we see sticks, like, dropping from the sky to go and fight him. And as uh, she's running back to go deal with Raish, uh, Nightmaster is fighting Styx, and he winds up getting a fatal blow where he cuts her stomach open. And of course, Styx falls to the ground, and he's like, oh, you're nowhere near my level. And then she, like, jumps up and starts fighting him again. And he's like, I can't understand how this happens. Because we all know she's a talent, she's so a talent. she's, she's yeah. almost unkillable. And so from there, she, like really takes him apart and just cuts him open several places and winds up cutting his throat and winds up kicking him off into the ocean. So if he shows up again, he's going to be pretty gnarly. Right. But from there, Race has just about gotten the electronic door open. And so uh, Black Canary does the one thing that she hasn't tried yet, which is actually using her, her bird call, her scream. Which actually starts thinking about the room... And couldn't figure out like why that was the room that was picked. And when she looks inside of it, she realizes it's because of the way it's designed acoustically, that it's built to amplify or work with her voice. So it's something she goes over in her head, like monologue-wise, and she even says it to Raish. She goes, yeah, I realize your ears are protected, but the concussions are still going to hurt your body. And so she basically does this canary cry, and the way it bounces off the walls, beats the hell out of him. Yeah, it just kind of like gets that force, bounces back, and just kind of keeps hitting him. Which is awesome. Which gives us enough time for Mother Eve to have revitalized herself. And so when she steps out the door, she's like this like little 9 or 10 year old girl. She's probably older than that, but not very much older. Yeah. And basically like, Rachel's like, oh, until next time, you win this round. And like she kind of packs up and leaves. Yeah, which is really weird. And the rest of the uh, 
the rest of the league goes with him. And basically, Mother Eve explains that, you know, without knowing the process that she's using to continue to rejuvenate herself, there's no real benefit for Race to stay. And that staying and, like, fighting her now or killing her now would be a waste of that resource. Because he figures, you know, down the road, he'll get an opportunity again. Which Race is nothing but, like, long, the long plan. But he even kind of makes a comment about, oh, you know, one day I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be kind of dancing on your grave to the Black Canary. Because as much as she's won the day, you know, ultimately he's almost immortal. And so is Eve. You got system. That's pretty much where he leaves it at. He basically tells her that one day that he's, yeah, she's, you'll rue the day when one day I'll walk on your grave. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, Lazarus put the hell out of yourself forever, and yeah, he's basically immortal. Crazy. But basically immortal. <laughs> yeah, Race's uh, immortality kind of takes a toll on him. Which this is... I, I can't say that I followed Race through all the different stories, but he looks an awful lot younger than the first time I saw him. I think it's just the artist. The, it, this artist just draws him younger than... It's possible, yeah. Batman and Robin, or, than Tomasi, or, or than Pat Gleason, or uh, Kapalua. Mm-hmm. They both draw him older. Which is fine, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, his age can change... Whatever. But um, from there, like Mother Eve is talking to him, or talking to her, and she's like basically saying, you know, there was a point where I, I thought about betraying you. And um, Mother Eve is like, well, why don't you smell this concoction that he gave you? And so, like, she goes over to the wall and, like, puts her hand on it and brings it up to her nose, and she can evidently smell the cyanide in the chemical. So basically what he gave her was poison anyways. So if she had betrayed Mother Eve, she would have betrayed him for poison, which would have ultimately killed Lance anyways. Right. But they also talk about like how Mother Eve knew that there was a possibility that Black Canary would turn against her, but she'd rather you know, think of the good in people rather than the, the evil in people or the dark in people, and that's what kind of separates her from Raish. She's like, well, what would happen if I did? She's like, well, I don't know if I want to live in that world anyways. So hopefully we never find that out. Right. And, like, when, whenever they first went after her husband, it's Race that sends his two other bodyguards to go after him. Like, there, that scene on the deck where he takes the Nightmaster with him, he sends the other two guys to go after the husband. So he never intended for the husband to ever make it out anyway. Mm. I mean, that's a normal Rasa Ghoul move is to kill the thing that you were trying to help but yeah as far as like set up and payoff is concerned yeah it w- worked pretty well I would say and they kind of just they end it with a, a kick into a new story where we kind of see the, the relationship between Sticks and Mother Eve's has changed and it sounds like Mother Eve is probably going to be going her own way from this point but her and Sticks had a kind of a special connection but we see in the city this kind of older man who's now going to become like a bigger part of the story and it just kind of crossed my mind that if we are going to go with the idea that sticks might be like the second batgirl this could be her father wow. the assassin kane i think it was wasn't he yeah i can't remember his last name shoot i don't remember dad's night i always mess it up and get him confused with kane marco but it's mm. not kane marco because that's no. juggernaut yeah <laughs> 
They don't, most of them, you just call him Kane, but I can't remember who his name is. Yeah, which is, it's possible that's who it is, but he's all kind of shouted out, so we'll see. Yeah, we don't really get a good shot of him. But yeah, it was, yeah, I don't know. Really quick. Yes. I won't give away too much of it. Go. But part of why I didn't like Batman, or the son of Batman, or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. was because Rage acts the exact opposite of how he acts in this book. Mm. Just... Just yeah. exact opposite completely. And the no treachery, none of that. And just Yeah, Raish is like a, almost a master of Kung Fu treachery. Mm. <laughs> like he 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 gave her just enough hope to like betray everybody who's important to her just exactly. to give her poison. And like even during the attack, like there was a secondary attack just to kill, you know, a crippled man. Right. Mm. So like you kinda see his darkness and then as soon as like his interest is gone, it's just like ah, who cares? Yep. This is completely done. Just ninja vanish. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, it's this is the definition of kung fu treachery, man. Almost, yeah. Real close. And then, uh, like like you were saying, I guess in the film, like he almost comes off like a hero character. Yeah. Which yeah. is, yeah, it's very uncharacteristic of Rosh. Now, he himself thinks he is. Yeah, and it's not... Eh. It's likely for him to act that way for a little while, just to trick someone and then go back to being... Well, I think he thinks he's doing the right thing a lot of the time. Mm. But he goes about it in the most diabolical way possible because, oh, yeah. you know, people around him are temporary. So he doesn't really think of the consequences of, like, them all dying for what he wants. Mm. Right. Um, Rob's core book, go. Ah... Uh... I, I got a fair bit of uh, Birds of Prey that I need to catch up on, but I, I thought it was really good. I loved a lot of the Kong Vu and a lot of the fighting in the book, so I give it a solid three. I thought it was really good. Carter? Right. Who's uh, who's drawing it? Um, Romano Molinar? Um, I think it's Robinson Roca. Roca. Oh, okay. I'll give it a three. And Christy Marks, I believe, is doing the writing? Mm-hmm. I'll give it a three. Ms. Ross? I'd give it a three and a half. I haven't read any of the Birds of Prey since oh, the New Fifty Two started, and this was this was there's enough in there for me to be hooked and keep going. Yeah, they they've done a really good job. So, I give it a three. Um, it was it was good and fun. I, I don't know. I like all those characters. I like, and I like I if they, if they do want up making Sticks be the replacement for Cassandra Kane. I'd be okay with it, I guess. I know there's other people that don't feel that same way, but I don't know. If we're not going to have her at all in the new universe, and this is the closest we get to it, that's kind of cool. You know, kind of explain her being a complete badass and the whole not talking thing. So I don't know. I, I, I'd be okay with it if they do that, but that's like another maybe this could be something. Well, I mean, heck, we've we've almost moved past all of the Talon characters. So it's kind of nice to see one of them sticking around. Well, we at least have the two or three that are still around. But yeah, as far as like in the universe not operating as evil in the shadow, just foot soldiers. I mean, we've got Talon, and then we have Sticks. That's it. Anyway, um, so let's go and move on to Justice League United Zero. Bomb, bomb, bomb. If you haven't finished Forever Evil. There will be spoilers in this book. Oh, wait, Forever Evil hasn't come out yet. Ah. Um, actually, there's not really any spoilers in this book. Whatever, it shows people living. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's really long. Okay. Issue 7 doesn't come out until the end of next month. <laughs> well, if, 
Yeah, but I don't think most of these people were that in danger of dying. Well, they were all stuck inside Firestorm. Maybe. <laughs> no, I think they I think they did reveal that, didn't Here, they? Here's the ball and the ball dropping. Oh. <laughs> Good job, jerks. Oh, well. I don't know if it was that big of a surprise for anybody, but you never know. I think if that was the case, they probably gave that away when they revealed the cover for that. And... Yeah. Well, you can't keep a secret anyways in this world. I think the closest thing that they ever got was uh, the death of the Fantastic Four. And they revealed that the damn day before. <laughs> well, at least they got close enough to that. and At least they got to the day before. Well, they did okay with Damien, too. It was also the day before. Yeah, that's true. And at least I didn't believe them when they said it at the start, so... Mm. You tricked yourself then, sir. But, um... Uh, written by Jeff Lee Moore, and art by Mike McCon. <laughs> said it Irish? Mike McCon. McCon. Well, it is Irish. It is M-C-K... McCon. Oh, the McLean the boy. He does quite a good job. Stop it. Stop it. Jeff Lemire, you'll know him from Swamp Thing and from uh, you know, from, Animal, from Animal Man, Justice League Dark. Um, he's writing Green Arrow. He's right and writing Green Arrow. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure he did Justice League of America to you before. He over. might have. He write, he's written a lot of things, Ross. Underwater um, Welders. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's Trillium. true. It's another one. Uh, I kind of wonder how long they're going to keep the maple leaf on the cover. Because I kind of felt like that was just a joke. I don't think originally it was, but I think since they've changed it from Justice League Canada to Justice League United, maybe. Mm. We'll see. I think this first uh, chapter takes place in Canada. It does. It does. Yeah. And, uh, so you think that constantly we'll have a changing logo there? That'd actually be really cool if they did. I don't think that's going to be the case, though. I guess we'll see. Of course, though, I did have one person buy it on the strength that there was a maple leaf on the D. <laughs> So maybe they thought it was a pot leaf. It's possible. <laughs> it's not the right color. <laughs> Shut up, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so we actually start the story um, nebulously in the future, on the moon of Theosel. Is it Thessal? Let me see. Let's see which one. Have you? It's written. It's Theosel or something like that. Yeah, it's very Elven. But um, we oh, open up to, to we open up to like a the sala, the sala, something like that. They give weird directions in space. Yep. Yeah. From the Encyclopedia Galactica. There you go. Basically, it's really deep in space. It's probably a place that we haven't been to in the New Fifty Two. So we've been around a little bit, but not as much in the old universe. Anyhow, it's by, it's by Thanagar, if that helps. Oh, that's why it's with th. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, so um keep your gestures to yourself, sir. You can't hear that. <laughs> we see a strange kind of space lab. Um where we have people kind of working with different trays and plats. And uh it looks like a kind of like a baby cradle in the center. But all along the wall there's all sorts of different alien races that are in kind of circular pods. And then we have some uh, some Earth woman who's like yelling at this alien about how you need to stop what you're doing, and 
You know, we got the aliens, like, yelling back in their different languages, like, shut her up, we're almost through with this progress, you know, this program's almost done, there's no way they can stop us now. And, uh, like, the next panels, we kind of got this, this, uh, white, kind of cone-headed alien on, uh, what I presume was the, the kind of baby crib thing that we see in the middle. And he's like, oh, this is the one. You're finally ready, and there's no way, you're ready to be born, ready to change the universe. And he's going to inject him with something. And you hear this swap. And he's like, whoa! And he turns around to see Adam Strange flying in with his crazy laser gun. And um, Stargirl. And Animal Man kind of growling. And Green Arrow getting ready to fire some stuff. With Supergirl and the Martian Manhunter ripping open the hull into space, evidently. Or at least the wall down. They're tearing down the wall as they enter from the other room. I'm going to say down, yeah, because nobody gets sucked out into space. So. But either way, so, like, the doctor guys are like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? This craziness. And they're running around. And um, our Earth woman kind of comes running across the room. And she's like, Adam! She jumps up and grabs him, and they, like, have this whole embrace moment. And from there, we wind up having, uh, like, John being psychically attacked, kind of, as the baby is being taken out of its crib, and the scientist who, like, was going to inject him is, like, yelling, it worked! You're all too late, it worked! And the baby, like, creates this crazy yellow, or, I'm sorry, white light. And it's almost like lightning as it, like, fires out of the side of whatever space station they're out into space. And then we go back three days earlier to uh, Canada where we're going to meet celebrities uh, Animal Man and Star Girl it's like a meet and greet and sign yeah it's like a convention type thing yeah and uh, so like there's this whole motley line of people that are just in regular clothes and then when you kind of look you see people that are like in like cosplay Wonder Woman outfits and Batman stuff and like their own make-believe superhero characters and stuff. All kind of wading through line. And uh, Supergirl, or uh, I'm sorry, Stargirl is kind of like trying to cheer Buddy up because he's like, oh, you know, if you get nervous, this is like, I've done this before, you know, there's a lot of people here, but... And kind of buddy's like, yeah, you don't really understand. I actually was a star before this, so... Like, this doesn't bother me. And she kind of starts acting like, oh, I'm glad. I'm so relieved because I was wigging out. But, um... We kind of get... This uh, nondescript guy kind of come walks up in the front of the line. And he's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta show you guys something. And they kind of lean to each other and like, oh my gosh, here comes one of the weird ones. I don't know if you've ever been in an autograph line. There's times... There's times where there's weird ones. Where are oh, the man. weird ones? And they'll yeah. sh- they'll show up with a suitcase with clippings. He's right about them. Usually, at least one of them. This particular guy carried around clippings from, like, different murderers and serial killers who've gone and visited in jail. And photographs of where they used to live. Freaking weird. That's that's what's one of example. You're telling me I should stop doing that? Yes, probably so. If you're doing it, Ross, somebody else is doing it first. I I know that it's fascinating to you, but maybe not to the celebrity that you're having sign some of them. Man, me and poor Ben Templesmith stand there chit-chatting this dude with a suitcase of weird-ass pictures and, like, Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. Man, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. It almost makes sense with Templesmith. 
but yeah, I it mean, was weird for him too, man. Yeah, we had the same situation with uh, yeah. Ted Ramey's. Yeah, that was the guy weird. had like all these clippings from like, oh, Ted does Hollywood, doesn't you know, like little things like that. It was yeah, weird. It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Anyhow, so they're bracing for the weirdness, and he's trying to explain that like nobody's taking him seriously about this stuff, about you know his his assistant just kind of vanishing. And I think even Starry was like ready to write him off. And uh, he mentions that his name is Adam Strange and that he's a geologist, or not a geologist, I'm sorry, anthropologist. Anthropologist? Anthropologist? Yes, anthropologist. Like the lady in bones. It's awesome. Anyhow, and that he'd kind of recovered the site and. Um, you know, the bouncer guy is starting to be like, hey, this guy bothering you, we'll take care of it. And uh, Animal Man's like, well, anybody who has a name like Do- uh, Adam Strange deserves a little bit of uh, leeway. So he can't be a doctor yet. That's true. That's call true. him a doctor, isn't it? He is a doctor of anthropology. Yeah. No magic, though. No magic. Well, this is DC. DC, you don't have to have the doctor in. Marvel, it's you almost need this. recommended yes. in DC. Yeah. Marvel likes to have their their doctors be magic. Anyhow, uh, so he explains to them about being called out to these kind of crazy bones that were found out in the wilderness somewhere. Yeah, like in the Canadian wilderness. And when they came to investigate them, they found that they were like unlike anything they've ever found on Earth. And during the investigation, his uh, grad student like vanishes. And then along with this kind of crazy skull that they found, they also found what looks like a combination of a microscope and a juicer. I was thinking candy dispenser. But yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be a right. candy dispenser. Um, presumably, they've actually done the rest of their signing, because the line is gone. But you can kind of see hanging out in the background is like somebody in a kind of knockoff Superman suit. Um Behind him in another panel is a guy with like a screw on top, uh, like a, like a bolt head. So you can still see like people are still running around in costumes all around him and stuff. But uh, when he shows them the device, Stargirl's cosmic staff starts reacting to it. Yeah, which is crazy. She's like, oh, I've never seen this happen before, and it starts kind of building up power. And for a moment, they're transported from inside the convention hall to some alien landscape. I think it's funny that her, her magic staff only started working when he brought it out of the bag. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, that the was a good staff, bag. The staff couldn't see it because it was a bag. Yeah, the bag's like 20% lead. That's funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Maybe he activated it in some way. Go on. Anyhow, so they're teleported and then boom, they're back. And uh, if you look carefully, up to the left, there's a kid in a very snazzy, like, Judge Dredd-style knockoff suit. Mm. It's pretty cool. And then a guy who's, like, almost like Bones. Yeah, so, it's good times. Anyhow, so basically they decide, like, we can't not take you seriously. And he kind of mentions before that, like, it's not like you can just call the Justice League to come in and take a look at this. So, this was the best option that he had. So uh, they kind of go with him, and they wind up out at the dig site. And um, 
you know, Animal Man's talking about, you know, using his, kind of using his power to, like, pick up an Alaskan fox or something like that to, like, have its uh, scent capability so they can kind of tell if somebody's been around the site. And they're kind of investigating it. And uh, he winds up picking up another scent. And they go over this little hill, and they find another set of bodies and bones just kind of laying out in the snow. Like a lot of them. And they're like, holy cow, this was not here before, right? And Stargirl winds up getting shot by something. And it immediately shows these... Uh, kind of strange aliens with these glob like shield armors all coming around the ridge and they're all speaking some kind of language we can't understand which is weird because we always understand aliens well mm. a good deal of the time they'll at least translate it for us but not this time of course we don't have anybody to speak alien with us right now if it was animal though yeah Mike's going yeah there we go there we go <laughs> Why can't these aliens just ever say hello? <laughs> uh, from there, we actually pop off to a whole other story. Sorry. To a place called Moose Factory Island. Which I'm not exactly sure where that's at. It's a real place in Canada. And it's Japan home. Likes. Home to the Moose Creek First Nation. Yeah, the Moose Cree. Oh, okay. Evidently, they're going to be kind of like the uh, Native Canadians. Hmm. Oh, okay. Like in Native Americans in Canada. Hmm. Okay. Inuits. Native Canadians? That's what I was... That's what I yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> he means like Native American, but Native Canadians. I think that's what Curtis meant to you. Native North Americans? Yes. Hmm. Go on. But, um... We basically have these two girls and they're talking and one of them's talking about how she's, you know, it's too cold and she's gonna get a ride and... The other girl's kind of just blowing her off and, like, not really paying that much attention. She's more worried about kind of getting home to see her grandma, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of, like, split up, and she heads to her house, presumably. And she finds the door is, like, half open. And she calls off her mother and the person, you know, asking if they're home. And somebody says her name from inside the house. When she comes in... Got this kind of guy who's just like sitting on the floor, and there's all this dirt and mud kind of around him, and some broken furniture. And uh, he's asking, you know, Mayaba, is that you? And of course, like the lady doesn't recognize him at first, and she starts demanding that he gets out, and he like stands up, starts talking to him for a moment about uh, something to do with her mom, I think it is. Grandma, grandmother. Like, something's coming. Only you can stop it, Mayaba. And, like, she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, the Wendigo, the Wendigo. And his face all, like, contorts. And he gets these crazy monster teeth. And his fingers are, like, stretching crazy. And his skin completely, like, rips off. And he's got this, like, kind of grotesque, monstrous body with a skull deer head. It's freaking it crazy. Kind of looks like something you'd see in the Swamp Thing. It does. Or Animal Man, yeah. too. It's like very Jeff Lemire esque thing. That's a good point. It is, yeah, that's true, it is. Yeah, except for it looks BA instead of. It looks like crazy. something else. It looks crazy as hell. Yeah. But, um. And it's like, you know what you want. You know what you need to say. You know what you want. I want you to say. And she's like, no, I won't say it. And like, say it. And so she says, Quethen? 
Kuwatan. Kuwatan. And she kind of transforms into, like, kind of a more superhero-y form. Where she uses, like, energy to kind of blast away the Wendigo. And the Wendigo starts shape-changing into her. She's like, it's too late, you can't run for yourself. And, like, we see the same kind of demonic, like, long-toothed face. Just in her face now. And then it kind of fades away, and she's just in the house by herself. And then the grandma comes in. And she, of course, is telling the grandma what happened. She's like, oh, there's nothing here. And she's like, oh, I'm convinced it's real, though. And she's like, it's very scary. <laughs> pretty much how it worked. Yeah. And then we go back to Animal Man in the action. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty much how it works. Yeah, it'll make more sense later. Anyhow, so uh, Animal Man's helping Stargirl up, and Adam Strange is kind of like trying to talk to the aliens. And of course, they like are pointing their weapons at him. They're going to shoot him, and then one of their arms like explodes. Awesome. And, and another one like shoots its arm off, like a like a rocket arm. To go after Adam Strange. And it looks like he either ducks from it or he gets hit in the head with it and like is almost knocked over. And um Animal Man goes out to like start fighting them. And like somebody kinda mentions like, Oh, can't you control the animals around here or something? And he's like, I'm not like Aquaman, I can't use like my Jedi mind tricks to control animals. I can just borrow their powers. It's funny, because that's the best way to describe how Aquaman uses his powers. I was, I was a little like, ooh, that's treading on thin ice. We don't want to really do a whole lot of like Aquaman jokes, you know? It's hilarious. And it's, that one's not making fun like of him as much as Aquaman. It is. Yeah, it's, it's like the Groth said. It's like a really good way to explain his mind power. It does. It does kind of like sum it up pretty quickly. But um, so Animal Man is kind of fighting it, and he winds up getting uh, thrown back. So Star Girl's protecting Adam Strange. And one of the uh, animal, or one of the aliens, like grabs Animal Man and starts like, kind of choking him, and it almost goes in like it's gonna kiss him. And then out of nowhere, this like arrow comes in and smashes him in the chest, and presumably kills him. <laughs> and uh, we pull back to see Green Arrow and the Martian Manhunter have shown up. And um, like. Uh, they shoot off their hands to try to attack Green Arrow and the Martian Manhunter, and, like, the Manhunter just slaps away the hand, and, like, Green Arrow rolls away from it and, like, fires some arrows into it. And, uh... So they kind of, like, turn the tide of this battle. And, uh, Animal Man's, like, attacking one of them, and he's like, man, you know, I really used to think that Green Arrow was, like, the lamest member of the Justice League of America, but now I kind of see that you're, you're pretty useful. <laughs> and, like, uh... Green Arrow's like, me, the lamest guy? You're Animal Man. Like, really? This is kind of a cool little thing between the two of them. Well, yeah, it does a couple times. It's really pretty funny. So the Martian Manhunter kind of tries to pacify things with um, Adam Strange, which is interesting. This is actually the first time I felt like this was the Manhunter. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he actually kind of cared about other people instead of just being like, man on our mind wipe. Oh, man. Like he's, does happen a few times. So. He, he doesn't seem very personal. Really up to this point. 52 so far. Until... Right. 
Okay, well, I think Rob hit on the head at one point. He said, I think they really wanted him to be Dr. Manhattan. And yeah. That's kind of how he's acted all the time. Yeah, yeah this, he really didn't act that way in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he does come across very sterile in the other stuff he does. But um, he and Stargirl now have kind of this crazy relationship, so. But we basically find out that Stargirl thought things might get dangerous. And so she activated her old Justice League of America beacon. And I guess Green Arrow and Martian Manhunter were the only ones who responded. So, but now they're both a part of that, and we kind of get this neat little uh, dichotomy between Green Arrow and Animal Man. But, um, so they kind of are investigating this area where they just were attacked by these aliens, of course, and then there's the big dumping ground. And uh, Green Arrow and the Martian Manhunter kind of find this spot that seems like it's been tampered with and the Martian Manhunter kind of pulls it up and it winds up being this whole silo that's hidden underneath the uh, underneath the snow out there and we kind of see a handful of aliens that look an awful lot like the guys we saw at the beginning of the story right and they're talking about oh my gosh it's the Martian and like, they recognize him right off the bat as being an alien uh, this was too soon for whatever they were planning so like, they kind of come down in there and the aliens are like trying to escape and one of them gets out and like, changes into a giant flame monster. Yeah. And the Martian Manhunter's like, ah, don't worry about this, I got it. And he winds up getting grabbed by it. And, of course, you know, John can't be hurt by fire, but... Terrified it's of Yeah, that's his weakness. And so it kind of takes him out pretty quick, and he just, like, is sidelined really fast. But um, two of the scientists, or two of the little aliens, escape back to wherever their home station is. And if you notice, they actually knew it was a Martian. Yeah. They right. really saw him. They yeah, they recognized him pretty quick, yeah. But they go to uh, relay that uh, they'd been attacked by these superhumans on the planet and the Martian, and that their mission had been sidelined to, uh, I think it's Lord Bith. Can't help it. That's what his parents named him. And of course, the guy's like, "Oh, I understand. You know, you got you got delayed. You must have been attacked by hmm, who? Superman? Green Lantern?" And they're like, "No, sir. It was the Martian. A few other characters, a few other people that we didn't recognize. Or might not even be important." <laughs> the Martian. Excellent. This is a nice surprise, actually. Should help keep things interesting. And so they ask him, like, uh, what they should do with the rest of the prisoners, and he's like, we should execute them. Execute them all. Then we flash over to, like, a very crowded, like, kind of prison area. And uh, presumably these are the prisoners that they're all going to execute. And we see, I think it's Elizabeth? Alana. Alana. Alana, the girl. And she's kind of, like, trying to work with the, the some of the aliens inside the prison to be like, you know, when they open it, we could escape. Like, all we have to do is work together. And the other prisoners are kind of like, yeah, I don't want to get killed. You're on your own crazy. And so uh, then we see somebody, like, opening the sail. And we pull back, it's New 52 Lobo. And I gotta admit, this is, like, the only time I've seen him that I was like, oh, he's kind of badass. He actually looks pretty good in this. Yeah. And so she kind of comes out and like is telling him off about how they're going to rise up against him and fight him. 
and like how the you know if they all work together they could defeat him and he's like eh, i wouldn't really put a wager on that and then from somewhere in the back you hear this voice saying like he's right he'll kill you all best let me handle this bounty hunter scum alone and of course lobo's like who's talking all this i'm lobo and of course then the light falls on it and we find it's carter hall the uh Hawkman that's from the back of there who's like whatever Lobo much you, you have a Thanagarian war god who's ready to rip your cra- or your Zarnian head right off your stinking shoulders and of course Lobo's like mm, bring it I'm so evil I love him <laughs> <laughs> it, it kind of goes that way like Hawkman comes off really strong at the end of it I'm wondering how Hawkman got captured to begin with. Uh, I think it's... I don't know how it will work with the Justice League of America stuff, but I think that's where we actually left him in the Savage Hawkman, is that he was off in Thanagarian space. Oh, really? I honestly can't remember if he was even involved with the stuff for Forever Evil. He was with them when they got sucked in. Because he's kind of on again, off again with the team, but... I kind of think that's where they ended him in the Savage Hawkman story. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. His whole uh, appearance kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I, th- I, I think maybe he was just sidelined waiting because of the whole Rob Liefeld thing. But, you know, whatever. Huh. Uh, Rob score book, go. Um, I actually really liked it. Uh, it's going to take a little bit to get going, but like as a zero issue... This was pretty darn good. I, I actually enjoyed it. So I give it a three. Sorry. All right, Kirk. In that opening battle sequence, we see Supergirl. as regular Supergirl, not Red Lantern Supergirl. So I want to okay. see what happens there. Uh, I hate Lobo. New 52 Lobo. Yes. Um, I would give it a three and a half, but I'll give it a three. Well, <laughs> hopefully they'll change the name eventually, and they'll just go ahead and call him Slobo. <laughs> Something. Because... I don't think you can get rid of the real Lobo either. And we know there's a real Lobo about. Yeah. So. Well, he's trying to say he's real Lobo, but... Uh, I want to see how the team's going to work if Lobo's involved and Supergirl is there. Well, Supergirl and Lobo actually had an interesting dichotomy mm-hmm. back in the day. Well, so. they fought in this last series. Yeah, yeah. New 52. That's true. That's what brought Lantern. her to the Red Lantern, mm-hmm. was him. Yeah, so he pulled him apart pretty good. So... Savage Hawkman against him. Yeah, yeah. Is Ross? I'd probably give it a three and a half, too. It reminded me a lot of kind of a mix of the Justice League International and the Justice League Unlimited cartoon. Huh. Yeah. Alright, yeah. Yeah, that was your, one of the first things you told me is that you kind of felt like you were reading the old Justice League International. Yeah, just the kind of banter between them and the way mm-hmm. Martian Manhunter acted more like Martian Manhunter and. I, I kind of like that this team doesn't really, like, we're not thinking, like, what are all the pieces we need for this team? We're just kind of, yeah. Mm, that's all we got. Yeah. yeah we're, we're just gonna... And that's probably what it reminds me of Justice League International. Yeah, because it kind of just felt like that team was, like, thrown together, mm. but yet somehow it worked for all the situations. I still think it was a mistake that they ended International. Or just, yeah, Justice League International. Yeah. yeah. With Lucy Gold and whatnot. Yeah. Well, their version of it, though, wasn't the same. As... Yeah. No, but it was still really good. It was enjoyable. I, I really got, enjoyed it. I didn't like it at the start, but it did get better towards the end of it. We're also supposed to be getting a uh, Booster Gold, 
Flashpoint, Flash... Future's End. Future's End number one. Took a minute for me to get there because I couldn't remember what it was called. It didn't take you oh, a minute. Mr. Gold, Future's End. Well, I couldn't find it. It wasn't Ross spitting things out. Future's End, Booster Gold number one. And uh, what were you saying uh, with uh, Adam Strange's armor here? He's got a little Kryptonian armor on. It looks like a Kryptonian crest, like a Superman crest on the cover. It just looks it looks weird to me, but I'm, um, I don't know if I'm the only one that saw that. Or I actually didn't see it until you said it. And also I noticed that Animal Man's A and John's suspenders look closely resembled to Animal Man's A. Oh. It just was weird to me. I don't know about that one. It's <laughs> weird. Huh. But. That style of art. Yeah, okay, I see it. Man, weird. The Kryptonian. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is Kryptonian armor. Yeah, I never noticed it until then. Maybe it's just waiting for his his symbol. I'm going to go with space armor. That's why I like space armor. All right, so let's uh, go and move on to Electra number one. That's not to say we did. Oh. Those aren't your nachos. They're Electra's notches. They're Electra's notches. Is that how you say your last name? I think that's how it is. It's Electra's Greek. Nachos. 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 Nachos are Greek? No. Oh, okay. no. You can have Greek nachos. It's N-A-T-C-H-I-O-S or something like that? Yes. Electra Nastachio. There you go. It was written by W. Harden Blackman. <laughs> It's a heck of a heck of a last name. You know what he used to write? Hmm. So, uh, Batwoman. There you go. Bum, bum, Before he bum. got kicked off the title, oh. and, or they and, left the title anyway. Oh yeah, it was the two. Yeah, the team. J.H. Williams. Both of them. Yeah. Mm. And Michael Del Mundo is their artist on the story. Del Mundo. Del Mundo. All right, so we're gonna kind of run through it quickly here. Um, first of all, fantastic artwork. Everything's kind of. Like painted watery color. Yeah, it's like a watercolor. Like the, the way it moves is crazy. So like they did, they did a really unique job of making it a unique looking book. She's kind of musing about how she doesn't really see any of her father in herself, or she doesn't see any of her mother in herself. Yeah. But she she continues to see things of her father in her reflection. Yeah, the whole the whole beginning of it is very introverted. Or introvertical, introverted, introverse, introvert. How do you say that? Inverted, introverted, introverted. There we go. It's very like self-reflection, and she talks about, kind of goes over like all these different events in her life, and like sees flashes. This whole time she talks about, oh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a ballerina for a little while, but I didn't have that kind of movement, and then I wanted to be. If I for a while I took secret finger painting or secret painting lessons, and I wasn't any good at that either, and. When I look in the mirror, I don't see my mother at all, which her mother died when she was a child. Uh, but she sees see, she sees parts of her father, but that's like, but not even her whole father. Now he's dead too, and so like everything has been around her is, is all turned to crap. Pretty much is what she's going through, and she talks about the hand, and so like, we get this whole like kind of crazy flashback kind of thing going on in the first few pages, but they're not like full flashbacks. It's done very like. I don't know. It's, it, it really does. After you saying that about Blackman, it really reminds me of J.H. Williams a lot, actually. Like art does. It's not the same, but it, it reminds me of that a lot. Anyway, um, go on. Yeah, excellent paneling. Um, it kind of gives you like a brief history of her, 
And it basically says, like, the one thing that I wound up being was not a hero, but an assassin. And that's what I need in my life. I need to be an assassin right now. And so she goes from there to um, the Assassin's Guild. And she's trying to get a mission to get herself out of New York. And the Assassin's Guild lady is basically like, oh, I heard Daredevil left New York. Is that something you're trying to do? And she's like, no, you know, I just need to leave this city. It's a cage. It's a trap. Yeah, and they call this character the Matchmaker. And it, it's it's odd that, like, her whole name, the Matchmaker thing, is because she sets people up with jobs to do. She's basically, the, like, your booking agent if you're a hitman. But yeah, I don't know. That's pretty cool. Let me go on. Uh, she sends her after the caped crow, who's evidently like a... Um, He's like a, an assassin's assassin. He's like almost like a myth. And um, kind of from this book, we get a, a readout of the, the brief history of who the Cape Crow was or is. And that he was an assassin who made you know his, his first killings over in Wall Street. But from there, he moved on to taking out of his opponents other assassins and then taking their jobs. Which was enough to cause the Assassin's Guild to want to kill him. And so everybody that they sent against him wound up being defeated in their own way, including Taskmaster, Bullseye, and Sabretooth. And so it's kind of like a, a fool's errand, but evidently after a while, Cape Crow realized that everybody wanted to kill him, and so he just disappeared. And it's been years since anybody's seen him, and now he suddenly like surfaced in Sydney. Yeah, he showed up on a, like his DNA showed up on a grid somewhere in, in Sydney. And so the Assassin's Guild has all been tapped to go and uh, and kill him. They've uh, offered a new bounty. And then there's another private bounty source that's offering even more to bring him in. So Elektra decides, you know, hey, screw it, I'll take the case. Well, pretty much what, she, what she's asking why she hasn't already sent people out after him. And she tells her about the second bounty. And the second bounty is to bring him back alive. And it's being offered by another party totally separate from the group that wants him dead. And that's why she's offering it to Elektra, because she's very well outside the, of, the, of the rest of the organization. So it's like the opposite. It's like two different contracts for the same thing. Uh, Hit-wise, this one contract is to kill him, and the other contract is uh, to bring him back not dead. Both crazy ideas. Anyway, from there we meet another character. Yes. As best we can tell, he kind of calls himself the Serpent. But he's basically wearing what looks like a lion's head, much like Hercules. And uh, he kind of is like one with the swamp, sort of. Like, he seems like a, like kind of an aboriginal guy with a spear. But, like, he's he's living in this water, it seems like. And you can kind of see in the background that he's in Australia, because we see the Australian skyline and the opera station. Right. And then we kind of get, like, a brief history of his life. But one of the things that keeps reoccurring in his story is that he found when he left society that he would gain the power of the things that he ate. And so he starts off with birds, and then we see him like killing dingoes, and we see him killing crocodiles, and then we see him killing people. And so like he physically believes that by eating them, he'll gain the skills and the strengths of these things that he's killing and eating. And it seems to be that he might be right. We see him fighting a bunch of uh, these kind of armored soldier guys. I got the impression that they were shield. But he managed to get into this uh, kind of ancient bunker. And uh, he battles his way in. 
fighting and killing these guys to a locked code room. From there, he uses a cipher code to get the door to open, some kind of like protocol code that the only way he would know is if he was a part of the organization. When it opens up, there's like a cryo chamber. And from there, when he opens that, we find Bullseye. Evidently, Bullseye is very much alive, kept in this chamber. And the guy's basically telling him that he needs just a little bit of him to help him catch the caped crow. And so it looks like he's going to bite his hand off. So we assume that he's going to like eat some of uh, Bullseye to gain Bullseye's amazing talents. Uh, from there, we kind of flash back to Electra getting back into action, and she kind of like paraglides down into what they call Monster Island, where evidently the Cape Crow and the Serpent presumably are going to be. And that's pretty much where they wrap it at. Mm, it's a lot of introverted stuff, which was fantastic. And then the, the way the book is done, the colors for it are great. I've uh, never heard of Cape Crow before or the Serpent, but I'm actually kind of really interested to see where they're going to go from there. I mean, the Serpent reminds me a lot of Craven, except for like the, that crazy mask is completely badass. Well, no, <laughs> um, the idea that eating your opponent's heart or whatever—I mean, oh, that's for the Serpent. Yeah, yeah. Gain, gaining their power, like that's an old idea, but it seems like he actually is. I mean, that's the only way I think he could have gained that code. Yeah, there's one point where he makes he makes a statement to Bullseye while he, while, while Bullseye's still tied up in this case, and he, he makes a statement to him like, "You don't know how many how many different agents I had to go through to get to you," and it makes you believe that he's been eating pieces of these agents to find the code to get the door open, mm. which is crazy. And then he tells Bullseye, "I have to take part of you so I can go after the crow." So I don't, as far as like, I don't, I don't think he's gonna eat his hand or anything. I'm sure he just, just takes some of his blood or something. So they don't actually go that far into it, but it's pretty freaking creepy and crazy. And everybody else, it seems like he killed. Yeah. And they, we see one lady's face in like a vision from his flashback. I almost think it's the same lady later that we see the heart's been eaten. Yeah, with the two kids. So it makes me kind of think that maybe he killed his own family. If that's who that lady's supposed to be? Because he talked about being normal, and then when he got outside of society, the whole world opened up to him, and so I, I don't know if that's who that is. I just cause we don't know enough about him yet, but that's what made me think. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. It, it's freaking crazy. Weird thing for me is Bullseye being alive, which doesn't make any sense, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> we'll see. Comic book. There we go. Boom. Dang it. Bye by the hand. You want to be stabbed so many times with the side. Everybody gets side by side. Comes back from the dead. Electra came back from the dead. Daredevil came back from the dead. Bullseye came back from the dead. It's all good. Side is not the best weapon to kill people with, apparently, in comic mm. books. In real life, I imagine it hurts like hell. Yeah. I don't know if Daredevil ever did that. kills fairly well. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe heals good. Most people who get stabbed, I would assume, through the chest probably not going to be doing very well. No, it doesn't look good at all when you get stabbed that way. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome as a picture, but not good for the person getting stabbed. Anyway, uh, Curtis, scorebook, go. Probably two. Oh. Won't, won't. Cross, go. I'd probably give it a three. I don't care about Electra at all whatsoever, but like you guys said, the art looks pretty cool. So. Mm-hmm. It is actually something really to look at. Like They actually did a good job like using the paneling. So, which is, I think that's why it reminds you of 
of Williams. Williams yeah. yeah. like especially at the very beginning of it, they have her like dancing around with the ribbons and then it turns into the size and it's just blood and ninja heads flying all over the place. It was pretty awesome. Um, I couldn't care less about Electra either. So I was really surprised like how much I really liked this book. So I'll probably put it at 3.5. Like I was really, really surprised with how much I liked it. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. Like the whole, the, just the whole lead into it. I, I, and I'll give you, I, I didn't read a lot of Electra either. I mean, I read some of the Ultimates with her and Daredevil, but I really didn't follow a lot of her in the in the early days. And the most I ever paid attention to her was when she turned out to be a scroll. But this particular story start at least, pretty cool. Um, fairly interested in it. So I, I give it a three as well. I, I, I liked it. And the connection to Blackman and whatnot, he's a good writer. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, the Cape Crow character seems freaking crazy awesome. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out too. Um, so that was kind of a brief Electra. Well, yeah, that's what she gets. That's what <laughs> yeah. she gets. Uh, Curtis books to watch. Invincible's picking up. It's gonna be crazy. Number one eleven's coming out. Um, what else? I don't know. That's about it. <laughs> oh, San Hannibal, which we read today. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's gonna kick off here in the second issue. So it should be in previews this upcoming previews from what I hear. Cool. So Ooh. well good. Keep an eye out for that. It's from Pop Goes the Icon. Or yeah. Something like that. So hmm. It's an old modern noir type feel to it, so Yeah, I actually yeah, I read that today and it has a very like detective y feel. Mm -hmm. I kinda liked it. It's kinda like Batman and Gotham if he wasn't Batman and just a detective kind of feel. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can see that. Mr. Ross? And say the future's end stuff coming out here in the near future, right? And uh, specifically the Booster Gold number one, and right? Aquaman's awesome. Batman and Robin's gonna go through some really crazy stuff here in a short little it's very while. Very true. Yeah, we were breaking news last week with um, the return of Robin. Yeah, so had to be pretty tight. Rob books to watch for. Um, really looking forward to the Teen Titans starting again. I know we just barely cut past that, but uh, Future End, I'm looking forward to as well. Um, yeah, those are the ones kind of new stuff I'm really looking forward to right now. So, right on out. Um, I would tell you to read Batman Eternal number three for a Stephanie Brown origin. Oh yeah, that was actually really really good. I said I really like Stephanie Brown. Yeah, it was basically her origin story and. and in the issue three, had any idea that was going to happen in three? Have you read it? Yeah. Is it anything like? It's very much similar. Okay. It makes her dad like way more hardcore than he used to be, and almost matter more. But it's definitely like it's so disconcerting the way it goes down. It's pretty cool though. Like I, yeah, I'm definitely, it definitely liked it. Yeah, Clue Master hasn't had the years of being like second fiddle to the Riddler, <laughs> so he doesn't come across as such a useless villain. Right. But, and they also bring in a handful of other guys, including Lockdown, in that meeting. So yeah, there's a we get to see quite a few different faces that have appeared in previous Batman comics. But it, yeah, I I liked it. Um, and there's another one like Black Science is still something to watch for if you haven't tried that one. Try it. Um, Revival. Ooh, there's huh. a new book coming out by Justin Jordan called Spread. 
Ooh. It looks incredibly crazy. Really? Yeah. Is hmm. uh, that movie Slither? Yes. Kind of has that feel to it. Huh. So it's just, I mean, the art in it's fantastic looking. So wow. Keep an eye out for that. Right. Justin Jordan's good stuff. Cool, cool. Uh, anything else, lads? Eat your brain to gain your knowledge. Okay. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> we missed you, Mike. That's true. 